Hey, peeps, please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. All right, so now that that's out of the way, let's get into this. Our movement is about replacing a failed and corrupt political establishment with a new government controlled by you, the American people. The Washington establishment and the financial and media corporations that fund it exist for only one reason, to protect and enrich itself. The establishment has trillions of dollars at stake in this election. For those who control the levers of power in Washington and for the global special interest, they partner with these people that don't have your good in mind. Our campaign represents a true existential threat like they haven't seen before. This is not simply another four-year election. This is a crossroads in the history of our civilization that will determine whether or not we, the people, reclaim control over our government. The political establishment that is trying to stop us is the same group responsible for our disastrous trade deals, massive illegal immigration, and economic and foreign policies that have bled our country dry. The political establishment has brought about the destruction of our factories and our jobs as they flee to Mexico, China, and other countries all around the world. It's a global power structure that is responsible for the economic decisions that have robbed our working class, stripped our country of its wealth, and put that money into the pockets of a handful of large corporations and political entities. This is a struggle for the survival of our nation. And this will be our last chance to save it. This election will determine whether we're a free nation or whether we have only the illusion of democracy, but are in fact controlled by a small handful of global special interests rigging the system, and our system is rigged. This is reality. You know it, they know it, I know it, and pretty much the whole world knows it. The Clinton machine is at the center of this power structure. We've seen this firsthand in the WikiLeaks documents in which Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty in order to enrich these global financial powers, her special interest friends, and her donors. Honestly, she should be locked up. The most powerful weapon deployed by the Clintons is the corporate media, the press. Let's be clear on one thing. The corporate media in our country is no longer involved in journalism. They're a political special interest, no different than any lobbyist or other financial entity with a total political agenda. And the agenda is not for you, it's for themselves. Anyone who challenges their control is deemed a sexist, a racist, a xenophobe. They will lie, lie, lie. And then again, they will do worse than that. They will do whatever is necessary. The Clintons are criminals, remember that. This is well documented. And the establishment that protects them has engaged in a massive cover-up of widespread 
criminal activity at the State Department and the Clinton Foundation in order to keep the Clintons in power. They knew they would throw every lie they could at me and my family and my loved ones. They knew they would stop at nothing to try to stop me. Nevertheless, I take all of these slings and arrows gladly for you. I take them for our movement so that we can have our country back. I knew this day would arrive. It's only a question of when. And I knew the American people would rise above it and vote for the future they deserve. The only thing that can stop this corrupt machine is you. The only force strong enough to save our country is us. The only people brave enough to vote out this corrupt establishment is you, the American people. Our great civilization has come upon a moment of reckoning. I didn't need to do this, folks, believe me. I built a great company and I had a wonderful life. I could have enjoyed the fruits and benefits of years of successful business deals and businesses for myself and my family instead of going through this absolute horror show of lies, deceptions, malicious attacks. Who would have thought? I'm doing it because this country has given me so much and I feel so strongly that it's my turn to give back to the country that I love. I'm doing this for the people and for the movement and we will take back this country for you and we will make America great again. What is going on, friends and fam? How is everybody doing this uh, Wednesday night that feels like, I don't know, the past year has just blown by. What has happened to our country over the past year? Wow. Anyways, yes, yeah, great to see all the fam over on Pilled, Foxhole, LinkedIn, DLive, Periscope, Twitch, and of course, later, mirrored on uh, Gab TV, Rumble, BitChute, all that kind of cool stuff. And a huge thanks again, as always, to our brother Shahid in there in the chat, keeping uh, keeping everything nice and nice and cool for the fam. Love you, Shahid. Thank you, brother. Huge thanks to Jason for mirroring the videos. Huge thanks to Tom, you know, for being in our distribution center, sending out all the stuff to the fam. Will, for all the stuff you do behind the scenes. And for my boy, Aaron, right here. Come by. Come over here. Say hi, everybody. So I got my, my oldest here. This is Aaron. So, here, you know, he's usually next door, but um, we were in here chatting while the videos were playing. I'm like, you got to come in and say hi, especially at least to, to Daughter Beatles out there. What's going on, Heather? What's going on, babes? <laughs> How you guys doing? Happy Wednesday. It feels like it's Thursday. I don't know why. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't know what day it is anymore. I'm pretty sure a lot of people, a lot of people in the world, they have no idea what day it is either. I know the fam. I get the the messages all the time. They're like, "Man, what happened to the year? What day is it? What month is it?" They have no idea. It's it's crazy what they've done to us. But uh, but yeah, I thought it'd be really cool to have you know the kid in here and uh, you know just say hi to the fam. So yeah, you guys, you guys take care and enjoy the show. This is where this is the only place I get my news. <laughs> Not even kidding. It's the only it's the only show I watch. Well. But this is Oz behind the curtain. So he's, this is my boy that does all the all the heavy lifting behind the scenes that makes it uh, easy for me to hang with the fam. So love you, boy. Thank, Thank you. you. Awesome. But we've got uh, we have a great uh, we have a great show. It's gonna upset a lot of people in the crypto community. But hey, that's what I do. I always uh, just tell the truth. And um, well, that's why none of the fam gets wrecked <laughs> listening to me when I talk about cryptocurrency because I'm not one of those YouTube guys that says this coin is gonna 500x. Go in now. 
So, um, yeah, I don't do that kind of stuff here. But uh, what I do is I just try to share information with the fam, things that I do, and uh, hopefully get some value from it. If not, no big deal. There are a ton of people out there that talk about cryptocurrency. But the I guess the, the reason behind this one episode right here, this show, this hangout session with the fam, it actually came because of the founders of Pilled, Pilled.net incredible platform, um, you know, Foxhole, amazing dudes, you know, the two mats as well as methods, all the stuff they do behind the scenes, just incredible, the things that they're doing there. Um, but one of the things that I noticed is I was watching um, a video of some people talking about cryptocurrency and I just jokingly told them that everybody is dumber for listening to these dudes, <laughs> right? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that just don't understand what cryptocurrency is. They don't understand what blockchain is. They don't understand all these different projects. They just hear about all these buzzwords and things like that. And I get tons of emails that ask me the same questions over and over again. And that's how this channel actually started was because so much of my family and friends were asking us the same questions over and over again. So I thought, wasn't really even my idea. It was one of the mats, one of their ideas that we um, do a show that just kind of talks about basically some of the misconceptions and the confusions in cryptocurrency. And so I kind of, I don't know, I kind of cherry picked like 12 or 15 of the most commonly received emails that I get and the questions that they ask me. And uh, I figured we'd just kind of go through these really quick. I also pulled some articles. So it's not just my opinion because I mean, this is all my opinion, okay? I'm not being paid to say any of this stuff, but this is my opinion. This is how I truly feel. And then I also pulled some articles to kind of back up some of this stuff. So we'll go into some of that crypto stuff, um, you know, at a high level, all right? We're not gonna go deep into the weeds and get everybody confused. I'll try to keep this very, very superficial, very simple, not start talking about what delegated proof of stake is or what a ring protocol is or any of this stuff, right? Um, I'll just try to keep it very simple, like what is Bitcoin? Is it a business? Who created it? All right. The simple stuff that I just get asked all the time. So we'll get into some of that. Um, let me share my screen really quick here. Let me check the uh, the chat really quick. Mary Kay Koob, handsome son. <laughs> I don't know. Too bad he doesn't look like his mom, right? <laughs> Poor guy looks like me. Janie, what is going on? There's Aaron. There he is. <laughs> He's already in the chat. Eminent Liberty, what is going on? Art B, art by... LJ, what is up? Thank you for the book. Hey, honored. You know, it's uh, it's free, right? So, and for anybody that wants the book, uh, just go to CryptoBeatles.com. I'll show you here in a second. But what we did is we turned it into an ebook, So it's completely free. It always is. But um, unless you pay seven bucks on Amazon, that was part of the uh, the publishing deal that we did, right? But I've, I, I buy them from Amazon and I give them out to everybody for free. But anyways, we converted it to an ebook, So it is like an appetizer to blockchain and cryptocurrency. It is very in crayon, very simple, just to give you kind of the fundamentals. It is not deep diving like, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos and people like that. If you want to go deep like that and get your, and get your PhD and, you know, blockchain, those guys are incredible. They write, you know, tons of books and things like that. Um, that that'll take you deep down that rabbit hole if that's what you want to do. What I find most people want to do is they just kind of want to understand the basics of it and whether, how they're going to use it, if they want to use it, stuff like that. Um, so anyways, the ebook is up there. You just go to cryptobeetles.com. You'll have it literally in seconds. You just have to uh, put in your name. I think your email address, say that you want the book and then download it and you're up and running in seconds. All right. Um, so yeah, let me go ahead and sh uh, share my screen really quick. One second. And then I'll, I'll check the chat on all the other platforms. I think that came from 
Uh, I think that came from YouTube, which I'm surprised any of the fam even gets <laughs> gets notifications to even show up on, on YouTube, all the stuff they do to us there. But I'm, I'm sure you've all heard my rant um, enough and you don't need to hear it again. All right, so let's jump over here, add this, add my share screen. One second. That should have worked, I think. There we go. Awesome. Okay, so um, for the ebook, just simply jump over to one second here. There we go to the giveaways and just hit the little enter button, fill out a couple fields, download the download the PDF, and you're up in business. Um, reading this book, literally, if you sit down and you just, I don't know, take the time, this will literally take you an hour to read. All right, and if you look at it most of it it's only it's only printed on one side the other side is for your notes this is for questions that you're going to get from some of the pages and that's again in the in the actual physical book on the ebook i think they do that as well so you could print it out if you wanted um let's see here let me jump over here really quick i don't know why it does that so for the thousand fam on on pilled and foxhole love you god bless you let me double check the chat over here really quick because i looked at the aggregator i haven't seen the uh, the chat over here so blonde blue lady q what is going on what is up woke guitarist how you doing just v what is up what is up so let's see tamger Rao. love it love it it's such a cool handle Krisky, what is going on all right just double check all the chat here yeah it's great to see the fam love you all god bless you so it's gonna be a, a fun little episode and again you know i'm probably gonna irritate a lot of people in the crypto community but you know what they should just be honest and if they if they really analyze what it is that i'm saying i'm pretty sure if they get their emotions out of it they'll be like okay yeah he's right that's usually what happens so uh, if you look at a lot of the things that i've said over the years it's usually uh it's usually come true <laughs> all right yvonne what is going on brian murphy what is up brother g maddox what is up love you back alabama barbie yes head over to foxhole yeah anybody that still watches any of these videos um you know on on that dumpster fire youtube head over to foxhole head over to pill.net all right check them out um all the fame on d live check out foxhole check out uh, pill.net for all my fame on linkedin and periscope and um you know all twitch everybody you know head over to foxhole head over to a uh, pill.net amazing people behind it it's going to be um, it's it's already incredible but it's just going to get so much better wait till you see wait till you see the newest releases that come out it's going to be uh night and day from where it's at right now it's gonna be awesome and freelance it's crazy that you get the notifications because they've trimmed 150,000 of the family members from youtube all right and i would say that uh, of the thousands of friends that i personally interact with all the time i would say like one to two percent of them say i got the notifications everybody ends up watching it like the next day or later that night or something like that. So anyways, incredible. You got a notification. That's great. What's up, Janie? Eminent Liberty. Yeah, I wish I wish it was eminent. I wish it was eminent, but we have to put the work in. So Operation Sunlight. Each one teach one. Um, it depends on what Telecoin is. I don't know what blockchain it's on. What blockchain is it on? Let me know. I'll let you know. Tony, what is going on? HBAR. Yeah, I know Hedera really well. I know all the founders there. Um, you know, it's you know, they've been putting in the work. We'll have to see what uh, what actually happens uh, with the blockchain. There's a, a ton of uh, competition for blockchains, as we know. They've been around for quite a while. 
Uh, I actually went uh, to Texas and met with the founders. I've talked to them many times, but actually went to Texas. You can go back and see some of the old interviews for anybody who wants to know about Hedera Hashgraph. And you see, I actually interview all the different people on the team. I think from marketing to the developers, to the founders. So the fan would get a better idea of what it is, right? How it works, all that kind of stuff. Sherry says, everything except YouTube is buffering for me tonight. It's, it might be your internet because it looks like everything is playing fine on on my end. So it could just be your internet, but YouTube has done an amazing job. Whether you love them, you hate them, whatever. At condensing files, right? Making things stream faster. So they actually just on the fly change the different uh, video rates, frame rates, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, Tony says VeChain. Yeah, I mean, I was an early uh, early adopter of VeChain because I like uh, cryptocurrencies that uh, pay me dividends, right? So, you know, I got in early, bought a bunch of VeChain. They pay me in Thor, right? So it's kind of like a, a dividend thing. Uh, let's see here. Tony says I'm on YouTube, no buffering. No buffering. Okay, did get notified. So awesome, Tony. Well, that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why you're here. Love it because I don't do much advertising. All right, we just pop in, say hi. All right, let's go ahead and jump in to some of the different things we're going to talk about tonight. Let me see if I can get this moved over there and this over here. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about, um, I guess, some of the crypto confusion out there, some of my opinions. And again, these are my opinions only. Um, so this doesn't necessarily mean it's fact. This is never investment advice whatsoever. I'm not going to um, cover specific projects and say, you know, that this is something worth investing in. I never do that. Um, everybody needs to do their own due diligence and research and all that kind of stuff. And I don't mean from some dude on YouTube right, that's being paid to promote a cryptocurrency project that, um, you know, is shilling stuff to you, nor do I mean if they're offering referral links to where if you join their exchange or whatever, that person gets a cut of all of your transactions in perpetuity, right? So there's incentives for a lot of people on YouTube to basically shill different crypto projects to their subscribers so they make a lot of freaking money. It's been going on from the beginning, all right? That's not what this is. This is education, right? Information only. In my opinions, no shilling whatsoever, all right? Tonight, um, let's start off with a, just a, something laughable, all right? Something laughable that makes you want to cry at the same time. Uh, so this is uh, Joe, um, sniff your dog's butt Biden, whatever you want to call this dude. I don't know. Supposedly got like 81 million votes. We all know it was a sham. We know it was the, the greatest theft in uh, pretty much, I would say, any country's election process, right? We found out because of this that 90% of all of our industries are in collusion with the corrupt, all right? My opinion. We found out that uh, we don't have elections, we have selections. We found out that our court systems are corrupt. We found out our politicians are corrupt. We found out our education system's corrupt. We found out our Hollywood movie, press, social media, you name it, corrupt, all right? Here's more proof. I mean, it's just disgusting and sad at this point. But anyways, I'll go ahead and just read just a couple little snippets and then we'll get into uh, some of the crypto stuff. It says Joe Biden mumbles through Rona talk. Only 1,049 people watched the speech live. Do you realize that we get like 20 to 40 times that on these videos? You realize we have more than that here right now, the fam just watching us. I'm not pretending to be president. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who, who, who am I? I just build big businesses, right? I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, some official or something like that. This is just family hanging out. So we get, we get over that of just family hanging out, just talking about whatever. And this dude's supposed to be POTUS. Give me a freaking break. So anyways, 1,049 people watch the speech live, only 1.4 thousand retweets. Well, that's a lot more than I'll ever get on Twitter because Twitter has destroyed me from, well, ever since I started being super vocal and public about Trump back in 14 or 15. So, um, but Joe had 81 million votes. What a crock. Yes, it is. And this comes from the Gateway Pundit, of course, another Patriot site. Uh, this is such a complete joke. What these people are feeding the American people. Joe Biden can't fill a gymnasium. That's right. He cannot fill a gymnasium. I guess he could with six really big circles with one person, each of them, if those are his staff. He has less charisma than a turnip. That's true. He has to read every single word from his teleprompter. That's true, but he forgot how to read, I think. Or sounding like a bumbling idiot. But he got 81 million votes. Update. And after an hour from his prepared speech, Joe Biden only has 1.4 thousand retweets. So this comes from Twitter. This here is his official account, which obviously belongs to Trump, our true POTUS. But could you imagine how many comments, retweets, and hearts Trump gets after an hour of being on Twitter. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like he, I think at one time he got like over a million, uh, like in an hour. It was, um, yeah, just just speaks to how how truly loved Trump is, and how truly popular he is, and how Biden, of course, is just a puppet for the deep state. All right, so you can see here after an hour, six hundred twenty-seven comments, one point four thousand retweets, seven point four thousand hearts. So. He kicks my butt there, but that's only because, you know, Twitter don't like me. <laughs> Twitter don't like me. All right. So, all right, let's go ahead and uh, check the chat super quick. And then uh, we'll jump into some crypto confusions. All right. My opinions again. All right. Shahid, what is up, brother? What is going on? And it says uh, Telecoin is an ERC-20 token. Yeah. So if it's an ERC-20 token, then yeah, you can put that on uh, Monarch. All you do is you just... On the home page, just hit the little plus button, and then you can just either search for it by name or enter the contract address right there in Monarch. It is super easy to do. All right. Frank, what is up? No cape and tights. Uh, <laughs> maybe you should put them on, Frank. I think you're the real superhero. What is up, Curtis Cross? Yeah, Joe's eyes. Yeah, there's there's nothing behind them. There's nothing behind them whatsoever. Sherry, exactly. Yeah, it's time to change uh, internet providers. So whether you like Elon Musk or not, Starlink, and whether you like him blanketing the entire world in 5G, Starlink will be um, probably coming to your neighborhood very, very soon because it's even coming to the small little areas of the world that I visit. So, all right, let me just double check over here on Foxhole. I don't want to forget the fam over there. And for the fam on DLive, all right, so uh, it's dwindled greatly over there. But um, so some fam hanging out there, which is awesome. The lemons are back. I am not going to be buying lemons. I'm not going to support a platform that deplatforms my fellow patriots. Um, so I'm not going to do that. But if, uh, if anybody uh, wants to use the lemon uh, network over there, you can use lemons. It's kind of a cryptocurrency of sorts. It looks like Lynn's over it has already used it. So love you, Lynn. It's awesome. I will make sure at the end of this to give all the lemons back to the fam. Um, AJ1776, 100%, not my president. 
The world loves Trump. Absolutely. President Trump. Lots are saying not to buy Bitcoin. Thoughts, Lens Obert. Well, we're going to get into that here very shortly. And let me double check uh, Foxhole really quick. Oh, boy. I missed a lot of chat over here. Sorry. Let me just uh, make sure that I didn't miss any direct um, any direct comments to me. And on, on uh, Foxhole, if you have a question for me, it'll highlight red. Um, if you just simply put the little at. So just do at Crypto Beatles. That way... Um, there's a lot of chatter. I don't want to miss something that's directed at me. Just do at Crypto Beatles. I'll look for the red box and then I'll uh, make sure that uh, I do my best to answer your question. All right. Love you all. God bless you. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and jump into some of this stuff. All right. So the most common questions I get, I, I, I created a little list here. Let me go ahead and read these off so that way you kind of know where we're going with this uh, video. We're already 25 minutes in. Wow. All right. Um, so so many, so many people, uh, fam and just uh, people in general, uh, email me all the time. Uh, see, Freelance says, I can't wait until Hussein Obama is exposed to the world uh, for the total fraud he is. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, so these are the most common questions I get. Sorry, I digress a little bit. Um, trying to make sure I still you know, see what the fam's got to say. So is Bitcoin going to replace the dollar? All right, that's one that I get all the time. Uh, Bitcoin is anon anonymous, isn't it? So that, that way you can't see the trades that happen, right? You don't, people don't, don't know what Bitcoin is used for. Um, you're totally anonymous if you use it. These are questions I get. These are not statements by me. These are just questions. All right, so Bitcoin is a business, all right? Is Bitcoin a business? Um, it can't be hacked. Uh, who is Satoshi? Voting needs to be on the blockchain. Uh, let's see here. Bitcoin is not digital gold. It's digital cash. Uh, what would you use for peer-to-peer -peer cash? These are questions. Sorry, so I didn't, I didn't write these. Um, how to store crypto. What's the best way to store crypto? Uh, hardware wallets are expensive and buggy, and hardware wallets can be hacked and keep your seed and ha have access to your funds later if they're unethical. Um, if the dollar crashes, Bitcoin will explode in price, right? Nope. Um, these YouTubers have all the inside trades. Don't miss out. YouTubers can 500x... <laughs> your money. Okay. All right. Um, it says, um, I'm going to be a zillionaire. Um, I can make a ton of money off of cryptocurrency. All right. Um, so I'll, I'll address all these. Um, crypto is only used for illegal activities. Uh, crypto is tamper proof. It's immutable. You can't change it. Um, all right. And then the next one says all businesses need blockchain. Okay. Uh, blockchain is the future and regulation isn't coming. All right. So those are the topics that we're going to discuss. Um, if you have any other questions that um, aren't in the questions that I get from uh, my emails and telegram direct messages, uh, let me know. And John H says, Crypto Beatles. Hey, Robert, I tried emailing you to thank you for the thousand to go to DC. I'm sorry I could not go. My car engine light came on and my friend could not go with me. Well, you know, um, use a thousand bucks to fix your car. So, um, and obviously January 6th, uh, it's probably better you didn't go. 
because uh, that definitely did not um, turn out the way that uh, we had hoped it had or would, right? So no worries there, John H. Uh, use the money to fix your car, all right? Uh, says, I did not feel safe going alone in my car, having trouble. I've been struggling to keep the heat and the lights on with the generator. I hear you, brother. So, um, yeah, hopefully you use a thousand bucks to uh, keep the uh, the heat and the lights on, all right, and fix your car or some variation thereof. But uh, love you. God bless you. Don't trip. All right. It's all good. All right. So let's go ahead and start off with um, is Bitcoin going to replace the dollar? All right. Now, I understand this is the Federal Reserve um, chairman. Okay, but just listen to some of this. Okay, this is, I mean, I'm going to read this first. Of course, I'll give you my opinion. It says, not a chance, says Fed's board, invoking history to slam alternative currencies to a dominant greenback. So this is for the question, is Bitcoin going to replace the dollar? But Bullard, invoking history, voiced concern that a non-government issued currencies could not or could make monetary transa transactions chaotic. Dollars can be traded electronically already, so I'm not sure that's really the issue here, he stated. Listen to this. This is what everybody needs to know about cryptocurrency in the future. The issue is privately issued currency, all right? So the issue is privately issued currency, and this is back from, uh, this is from this year, February 18th. So when uh, the fam asks me all the time, is Bitcoin going to replace the dollar? It's very simple to me. I just absolutely say no, it's impossible. I, I got this back in 2011. Everybody thought Bitcoin was going to replace the dollar. I'm like, you're all delusional, <laughs> all right? This is like a stock, okay? This is a plan B currency for countries like Venezuela. You know, even like Tone Vase, he's like, what do you mean by plan, plan B? It's like, dude, people aren't going to use this in commerce. Like you don't use your Apple stock to buy coffee. People buy Bitcoin because they think it's going to go up in value. You would only spend it as if you had to keep the lights on, right? You had to keep the heat on, right? You had to pay for bread or milk or, you know, eggs, groceries, take care of your family. That's the only time you would absolutely spend it is when you absolutely had to. This isn't something you use in daily commerce. This is something you would use as a last case resort or a plan B currency when the currency that is in your country implodes, all right? This isn't, and I'll get into um, what happens to Bitcoin because I remember there was that question there that what happens to Bitcoin if the total you know world economy implodes, okay? So I'll get into that. But for a, for a country, a country, okay? Not one of the almost 200 countries, not or not almost all 200 countries. If, if a country currency imploded, like we see happen throughout history, hyperinflation hits, it's a plan B currency. You would spend that just like you would gold or silver or trading chickens or whatever to get what you need to take care of your family. It's very simple. Your family comes first. You would spend what you have, whether it's, you know, your, your grandma's locket or, you know, her wedding ring or whatever it is, you would spend that to make sure that your family is safe and taken care of. Bitcoin is a plan B currency. That's when you would use it. It is not used as Natoshi, or Satoshi Nakamoto originally envisioned as a digital peer-to-peer -peer currency. It's just not. And we know that it's not going to replace the dollar simply because the Federal Reserve doesn't control it. Why in the world would any government allow something that they control to replace their currency? Maybe if they took it over, but that even still, that's not what they would do. We know what they're doing. They're creating their own versions of Bitcoin and they're labeling it things like the Fed coin. They will have their own digital currency. Make no mistake of that. 
this is definitely uh, the way of the future. You're going to be using cryptocurrency whether you want to or not. It's just a plain and simple fact. You're going to be using blockchain whether you want to or not. The ones that are going to win are the ones that make it simple for you that you don't know you're using cryptocurrency. You don't know that you're using blockchain. You're just using it like your Apple Pay or something like that. That's the way of the future, making it simple and easy, not caring how the stuff works underneath. But is it going to replace a government's currency? Absolutely not. We know that a government control, that is one of their major things, all right? Control and power, corruption. It's very difficult to corrupt Bitcoin. It's very difficult to control Bitcoin. It's not something they make or they print and they can make as many of them as they want easily, all right? Because then people would just lose faith in it and stop using it. So it's not going to replace the dollar. It is digital gold. It is no different than um, a stock. Okay. It's something that you buy and you hope it goes up in value. And when it hits a point, then you sell it and you buy assets or milk and eggs if it came to that. Right. All right. So the next question I get all the time is Bitcoin is anonymous. People don't know that I have it. People don't know that I use it. So this is an old article. This just, this goes back to 2017. So I'm just going to read a few little things of this. So that way uh, you've got a little bit of, I guess, somebody else's point of view before I give you my own, right? So it says Bitcoin transactions aren't as anonymous as everybody hoped. Imagine that. I've been saying that from the beginning. An increased number of online merchants now offer the ability to pay using the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. One of the great promises of this technology is anonymity. The transactions are recorded and made public, but they are linked only with an electronic address. So whatever you buy with your Bitcoins, the purchase cannot be traced specifically to you. This is handy for some, but the, the anonymity is by no means perfect. Security experts call it a pseudonymous privacy like writing books under a nom de plume. Uh, you can preserve your privacy as long as the pseudonym is not linked to you. Samuel Clements, Mark Twain. Uh, but as soon as somebody makes the link to one of your anonymous books, think Ben Franklin, all right, Paul Richard's Almanac, uh, the ruse is revealed. Uh, your entire writing history under your pseudonym becomes public. Similarly, as soon as your personal details are linked to your Bitcoin address, your purchase history is revealed too. So there are some cy cyberpunks, there's some early adopters that um, know that this isn't exactly true, okay? Because they got in early. Maybe they mined their crypto. Maybe they bought their crypto at a Taco Bell or a 7-Eleven peer-to-peer style. Maybe they use paper wallets and they've never, ever transacted. But for the 99.99% of you, this is going to be true. Why? Because you're going to have to use a centralized uh, solution, some kind of centralized entry point to purchase your cryptocurrencies. What does that mean? Well, when you sign up for, say, a Coinbase account, okay, like 95% of the people out there buying cryptocurrency in the US, what do they ask for? They ask for your name. They ask for your address. They ask for your copy or a picture of your photo ID or your passport. They want a utility bill. All this is very common practice in cryptocurrency. I don't care what exchange you go to, they're going to ask these basic same questions. It's called KYC or know your customer. So as soon as you buy that Bitcoin thinking that, hey, now I'm anonymous, I'm in the shadows, nobody can find me, you know, whatever I do, it's, you know, totally, you know, behind the curtain. Not true. Because 
when you cash out, so say you go to Coinbase, you buy a Bitcoin, you cash out, you put it into your Monarch wallet, right? What happens? Well, Coinbase knows who you are and they know exactly what address you sent it to. So when you have it in Monarch or any wallet, they know exactly where you sent it. So they know that Jane Doe has one Bitcoin in this wallet. And as soon as it moves, they know that you spent it. They know how much you have and they know that you spent it. It's that simple. And so if they think that you're some kind of nefarious actor doing nefarious things, guess what? They know where you sent it. So now they know that that wallet address is a bad person. So what do they do? They come visit you and find out who you send it to. Then they have all kinds of other AI technologies, like there's um, like chain analytics, so blockchain analytics. So that address that you sent it to may have been a, a clean wallet, something that was just created. Maybe they don't know who it is, but maybe they do because it came from another exchange. So using blockchain analytics, maybe they already know who that person is. So they know that you sent, you know, a Bitcoin to, to Chapo or you sent it to your grandma or whoever it is. They already know who that is using analytics. They're already, they already know so many different wallet addresses out there because the on-ramp and off-ramps into cryptocurrency have KYC most now everywhere. All right. So they know your customer. So all these wallet addresses, they've already pretty much put faces and names to most of them. So as soon as you send it to anywhere, they're going to know who you're sending it to. And if they don't and they suspect it's illicit activities, they're going to pay you a visit. It's really that simple. All right. Um, let's see. Let's jump into. And just to prove my point, this comes back from 2016. And I feel a little bad mentioning this article because. This poor guy was, I think, treated extremely unfairly. I know his mom. Um, I, I think I've even had her on the show. We've helped support them. But this is just an example. All right. So Ross is, you know, I, I think treated super unfairly. And there's been a huge movement in crypto to, to get him, you know, pardoned. But anyways, uh, Ross was the, uh, the creator of Silk Road. I think there's even a, a Netflix uh, movie. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I think it's even called Silk Road. So you can go watch that if you want. But it says, uh, why criminals can't hide behind Bitcoin? And mind you, this is almost, this is five years ago. This is five years ago, okay? Bitcoin, the internet currency beloved be by computer scientists, libertarians, and criminals is no longer invulnerable. As recently as three years ago, it seemed that anyone could buy or sell anything with Bitcoin and never be tracked, let alone busted if they broke the law. It's totally anonymous was how one commenter put it on the Bitcoin's forums in June of 2013. The FBI does not have a prayer of a chance of finding out who is who. The Federal Bureau of Instiga Investigation, FBI, and other law enforcement begged to differ. So Ross Ulbricht, the 31-year-old American who created Silk Road, a Bitcoin market facilitating the sale of $1 billion in illicit drugs, was sentenced to life in prison in February of 2015. In March, the assets of the 28-year-old Czech national, Thomas, can't pronounce his last name, were seized. He's suspected of laundering $40 million in stolen Bitcoins. Two more fell in September of 2015, 33-year-old. Trendon Shavers pleaded guilty to running a $150 million Ponzi scheme, the first Bitcoin securities fraud case, and 30-year-old Frenchman Mark, oh yeah, of course, Mike, Mark Karpopoulos, or Karpoulos, man, doucher, uh, was arrested and uh, charged with fraud and embezzlement to the $390 million from the now shuttered Bitcoin currency exchange Mt. Gox. So that was Jed McCaleb created Mt. Gox and sold it to this doucher. And uh, this guy 
appears to have stolen a crap ton of the uh, the people's money. Sad stuff. But anyways, even the Fed is saying that, uh, no, it's uh, pretty evident that um, uh, we, we know who's who. So the anonymous part of it, it's, again, for maybe the 0.1% that got in super early, that was always super careful, that just use paper wallets, did peer-to-peer transactions and parking lots, things like that, they're probably fine. But for everybody that's getting into it now and for everybody that's been in it for a while that opened up any kind of uh, exchange um, account where they had to do a KYC, they know who you are. It's really that simple with Bitcoin, all right? So I think a year or two years ago, something like that, I did a contest a contest on, a, on Crypto Beatles where I asked the fam who they thought Satoshi was because I already had um, a notion in my mind who my opinion, who I think he is. All right. Um, So let's just go ahead and and jump into that really quick. Um, Oh, I think I jumped ahead a little bit here. But anyways, um, they ask, is Bitcoin a business? And no, Bitcoin is not a business. Okay. Bitcoin is not a business. Uh, Bitcoin is a, it's a network of inputs and outputs that on a dashboard, you see how many inputs and outputs you've done. And I don't want to go too deep because it's not really a coin. All right. A lot of people love to say Bitcoin is a coin. It's, it's not really a coin. It's, it's literally just an infrastructure outside of the financial systems that operates on its own blockchain with people all over the world, all running the same code, verifying transactions, miners that verify, you know, a, a block of transactions gets paid 6.25 Bitcoin. I, I don't want to dig that deep um, for the fam because um, I know I'll, I'll lose you. So let me just uh, put this very simple. Uh, Bitcoin is a network that's used to initially to do peer-to-peer transactions using inputs and outputs. Okay, very simple. People made it simpler to understand by calling it coins. Uh, nobody knows for sure who created it. It was uh, There was a white paper released by a person, a man, a woman, uh, a group of people, uh, possibly you know, a government agency. Nobody knows for sure. Uh, we've had lots of people claim to be Satoshi Nakamoto, all right? Usually, they're always shown to be frauds. There's, um, It's not a business, though. It was something that was created that was just given to the world to use. And a lot of people, including some of the earlier writings, it was done to kind of sidestep the the traditional financial system because of the banking collapse in 2008, the institutional corruption the Federal Reserve corruption, all this type of things, Bitcoin was supposed to alleviate because it would be outside of that system. So this system was created. It was given to the world. It started out in a white paper, I think, October 31st of 2008. I think it went live January 4th of 2009, somewhere right around there. But nobody knows who did it. So it's not a business, okay? This is just, it's like internet, magic internet money. It's like a, it's like a magic you know, financial system outside of our financial systems, but nobody knows who made it. Okay. So it's just out there. There's not a Mark Zuckerberg behind it. There's nobody like that. At least it's come forward. Okay. So we don't know who it is. I've always suspected that it was a guy named Nick Zabo. Uh, But to back up, a lot of people have made their businesses off of Bitcoin. So I should say that a lot of people create businesses based off of Bitcoin. So they'll come out with some way to 
like a derivative product. So you have like oranges, orange juice. So you'll have a way to make Bitcoin transactions go faster, right? So they'll make a business that does that, but it's not Bitcoin. It's, you know, Alice and Bob that got together and created a company to add something to Bitcoin and charge people money for, but it's not Bitcoin. Okay. So anyways, nobody knows who it is. Guy, girl, group of people, government agency, Martians, nobody knows. I've always suspected it was a guy named Nick Zabo. And so this comes from an article back uh, November 27th of 2019. I'm pretty sure we did a, a contest that stemmed th this article. I think ours was maybe in 2018 or it might've been in 2019. I don't know, but I already had my idea of who it was because I've been in a space in the space for a long time and kind of know who most of the people are. And so I always thought it was a guy named Nick Zabo. This is just my opinion. So sorry, Nick, if it's not you and you're going to get mad at me, but I'm sure you'll, you'll tweet at me and I won't check my tweets because I only go on Twitter every once in a while just to tell the fame I'm going live. <laughs> so sorry, Nick. Um, anyways, it says uh, the many facts pointing to Nick Zabo being Satoshi Nakamoto. All right, so it says, um, nice, Zabo. I think they, maybe it's a, I think, I'm pretty sure that's a misspelling, right? It should be Nick. So Nick Zabo, maybe he's a nice guy, a self-described blockchain, cryptocurrency, and smart contracts pioneer was working on a cryptocurrency called BitGold before Bitcoin, as we know it came into existence. The legal scholar and computer scientist hailing from America's West Coast communicated regularly with early pioneers of modern cryptography and cyberpunks like Hal Finney. A lot of people thought Hal Finney was uh, Satoshi. And We Die, a lot of people thought We Die was Satoshi. These are all ver very, very early movers in the Bitcoin um, movement and the creation and like the adoption and just, just basically getting it running. These were like some of the, the main people that were uh, interacting, right? Dai, also a uh, University of Washington graduate in computer science from around the same time as Zabo, is uh, similarly known for attempting to build his own digital currency prior to Bitcoin called B-Money. All right. So um, I recommend you read all these articles, too. This is from my partner's um, or advisor's uh, site, uh, Roger Ver, uh, Bitcoin.com. So Roger Ver is one of the first people to push uh, Bitcoin, and then he got into it with uh, the core development team and went over and started working with uh, Bitcoin.com, but I, or Bitcoin Cash. So I don't want to go there. That's that's for another episode. Um, here it says um, altered dates and no Satoshi emails. All right. So while the aforementioned Bitgold blog post has a published date of December twenty seventh, two thousand eight, the post was actually published in two thousand five. Why does that matter? I'll get to that. Why Nick edited the date is a source of confusion and speculation for many. Further, the comment timestamps appears or appear to have been updated to only show times, not dates. Why does this matter? So if he is doing blog posts in 2005, but the Bitcoin white paper didn't hit the, didn't hit the streets until, you know, Halloween on 2008, there's something there, right? So his blog post on 2005, Bitcoin 2008. All right. Now, uh, let's, okay, so I'll just explain this to you. Um, I didn't highlight it. So why would you change the dates? So if you come out with the same type of technology, the same type of code, you're telling the world how it works or basically how it works, and it's very similar to Bitcoin, and you do it three years earlier, it launches three years later, then you change the dates of your blog post. Most people change the dates to look smarter than they were, right? They, they try to 
fraud the system, right? So we've seen lots of people pretend to be Satoshi or they lie. And they try to like backdate things to like, look, see, I was in here way before Bitcoin was Bitcoin. This dude did the exact opposite. This dude was talking about this stuff three years before, already had his own project called Bitgold that did many of the same things that Bitcoin did. He just had a couple of different little things that he had to work on to get it to be where Bitcoin is today, or whoever this person is, had to get it to be where Bitcoin is today. So why would you change the dates of the articles from 2005 to after Bitcoin was released? You're trying to show, in my opinion only, that um, it came after Bitcoin, not before Bitcoin. So why would you do that? Well, if you're Satoshi, you wouldn't want to be pointing fingers to your prior work, possibly showing that you actually invented Bitcoin, all right? So there's that one that's always bothered me, and that's one of the reasons why I'm sure it's here in the article, because I've talked about it so many times. Uh, we even did contests, and people, so many of the family, you know, like, uh, you know, went through as to why they thought somebody was, um, you know, the Satoshi Nakamoto. So here it says, after 2009, Zabla's blogging activity takes a significant dip, going from 25 posts a year to just a few sparse updates annually. So this guy's busy all the time, chattering on all the on all the boards. And then after Bitcoin's released, crickets. You would think that the guy would be like, yeah, this is awesome. Way to go. Crickets. Why? Perhaps most intrig intriguing, however, is this uh, is this strange embedded video post the same month Bitcoin went live depicting cars attempting to beat a traffic control mechanism at a red light. The post reads, trying to beat the protocol can get you in trouble. Many take this post as a reference to Bitcoin's solution to the double spend problem cryptographers and digital cash advocates have been struggling to solve for years and which was now successfully addressed via Satoshi's protocol. Imagine that. So the problem that he had with Bitgold was solved in Bitcoin. Hmm. And then there's that weird embedded video right about the same time Bitcoin came out. The Freudian slip. During a 2017 interview on the Tim Ferriss show, Zabo stumbled on his words, almost labeling himself as the creator of Bitcoin. Satoshi sleuths didn't miss, a, miss the slip and theorized it could be a subconscious revelation of the truth. When host Tim Ferriss asks Zabo about larger blocks and second layer solutions, Zabo replies, I definitely go for a second layer. I mean, I designed Bitcoin gold with two layers. Um, here it says um, NS. So if you reverse Satoshi Nakamoto, Nick Zabo, right? NS. Um, as news.bitcoin.com as news.bitcoin.com detailed in the previous installment of this series. Some view these initials to simply stand for Natoshi Sakamoto. <laughs> oh, my bad. Nakamoto, Nakamoto Satoshi. Nakamoto Satoshi. So it's inverse. Uh, with the surname coming first in the Japanese style, some have said the initials stand for Nick Zabo. What is less often discussed is that the Hungarian names are also given in the Eastern name order. So Nick Zabo, so Nakamoto, Nakamoto Satoshi. So inverse, like looking in a mirror of sorts, right? Uh, one of the things they don't mention here that they should have is what is Bitcoin programmed in? Anybody out there know in the cheap seats? I want to see if, uh, see if any of the fam out there knows what Bitcoin is actually programmed in. Let me check all the uh, the comments here. I know I've got some crypto fam over here on this side. Um, I haven't seen it yet. So Bitcoin is programmed in C++. 
who is an amazing C++ programmer. They don't mention that. Oh, Nick Zabel. <laughs> oh, Aaron popped in. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So it's the code he's most proficient in that Bitcoin happens to be written in. He's dating articles into the future when they were written in the past to come after Bitcoin was released instead of before it was released, like we see with so many other fraudsters. This guy's doing everything that he can to say it's not him. And maybe it's not. So forgive me, Nick, if I'm outing you and you're not really Satoshi, but I've been doing this for years to you. So I'm sure you know. But uh, anyways, um, and God bless you. And, and if it is you, you know, for the, uh, I guess, for the gift that you gave the world. All right. Hopefully you never spend what's in your wallets. All right. <laughs> if it's if it's you. All right. And now here's <laughs> this. This here is just like watching uh, the mainstream news. All right. So the first article tells you one thing and then the next article contradicts it from the same news organization, which happens to be from from my good buddy, Roger Bear. Um, why Nick Zabo probably isn't Satoshi. So here on Bitcoin.com. All right. So this is January 2nd. Uh, this one here is November 27th. So literally like a couple months later. It goes from many facts pointing to Nick Zabo being Satoshi Nakamoto. I think this is this came after, I definitely came after I did my big contest with the fam. And then here a couple months later, why Nick Zabo probably isn't Satoshi. So why it even matters. Uh, Bit, uh, Bit Gold creator Nick Zabo is probably not Satoshi. He is not even one of the pretend Satoshis. He has said publicly several several times that he is not the creator of Bitcoin. So Nick has said that several times. So again, this is just my opinion. I can't prove that it's him, but just like my inner sleuth, there's just, it's one of those things. How many coincidences before it becomes fact? All right. And uh, if it is him, you know, God bless you. Love you. Appreciate the gift that you gave to the world. And I totally understand why you would not want the world to know that if it is you, that you're Satoshi, because you would be demonized and then they would find every little horrible thing that you've ever done in your life, no matter how insignificant it was, exploit it, make you look like the worst person on the planet and try to destroy Bitcoin. So for the love of God, whoever Satoshi is, never, ever, ever go public. Okay. So let me check the chat really quick. And um, those are just the uh, the first basic ones. I'll get into some other stuff here rather quickly. And let's see here. All right. What is up, Frank? Frank, you were staying busy in the chat. Love you, brother. Non-coincidence, synchronicities. Love you, brother. And thank you for your service. Appreciate you. You were the man. Rick Richardson, what is going on? Uh, why would he not want people to know that he invented it? Uh, because he would become a martyr. They would destroy him and Bitcoin. All right. Not to mention, um, he's got a very, very big bag of Bitcoin. Whoever Satoshi is has a very, very big bag of Bitcoin that uh, hasn't been introduced into the ecosystem, into the wild. A lot of people theorize that he is dead, but um, other people worry that uh, maybe his kids will get access to the uh, the wallet and um, spend the Bitcoin and drop the price significantly. All right. So uh, non-coincidence says, I uh, just got here. I should explain Bitcoin and other legit cryptos and how crypto is not here to control people or the mark of the beast would be great. Well, I've always said that cryptocurrency is the greatest freedom for the people or the greatest enslaver of the people. So we'll have to see what happens. As Trump would say, John H. Um, Beatles, if I buy true USD, it's the same as cash. And can I earn interest on it? 
Next, the app won't let me buy it. All right, I'll explain that here pretty quick. Um, so a non-coincidence says many patriots think crypto is. So we will get into that. We will get into that. Definitely get into that. Let me just double check the the chat over here. Let me see what the fam is up to on Foxhole when this thing loads up for us. Please remember to at me on Foxhole. Um, that way the, the box will light up red and I'll be able to see that you're you're chatting with me and not just with the rest of the fam there because we have a, a lot of fam hanging out with us on Foxhole. Well, hopefully they're uh, still hanging out there. It seems like for whatever reason, whenever I go back to it, I get a black screen. Uh, you saw it populate there for a second, then it disappeared. So not sure what's going on. Here we go. All right. So yeah, there's, you know, over a thousand of the fam hanging out there. Love you. God bless you. Make sure that uh, you at me because there's way too much chat. Here we go. So Jess V says, uh, oops, lost it. Here we go. Um, how do you, how do you do a pardon to person transfer of digital currency? How do you do a pardon to person? I don't know what you mean, brother. I don't know what you mean. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what you mean. Blonde Boo 80Q. The chat keeps jumping on me. Sorry. Uh, I'm sure you can see it on the on the screen here. We'll have to, <laughs> we will have to talk about Pi. Well, we have to talk about Pi over here. Um, okay. Awesome. I love I love some good pie. Uh see looking up says, where'd it go? Oh no. Sorry, fam. I know this is frustrating. Uh let's see here. What do you think of investing in copper? Um, yeah, I mean, precious metals. I, mean, I don't know that it's really precious. They make those, uh, I mean, it's it's a side it's a side hustle. I think it's going to go up against the dollar for sure. So if you have time, you can buy one of those little penny machines and go down to the bank, get $100 in pennies, you know, sift through the pennies with the little penny sorter, and it'll pull out everything before 81, I think it was, where it was actually copper. Take your change, go back, get new pennies and keep doing that. And then you can cash out for a lot more money, possibly, than what you put in. So it is that um, is uh, viable. Uh, it must refresh at black screen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see here. They meant person-to-person -person transfer. Gotcha. Uh, so person-to-person, -person, damned autocorrect. <laughs> oh, awesome. Let me uh, see what the first part of the question was. Person-to-person... Uh, uh, how do you do a person-to-person -person transfer of digital currency? Oh, simple. Go right here. Down the Monarch Wallet. Put some crypto on it. You can buy it through the app if you want. And then you simply just, um, you can either copy and paste their address and send them cryptocurrency, or you can scan a QR code and send them cryptocurrency. It's, it's actually very simple. All right, this is Monarch. It's called Monarch because... You and you alone are the monarch of your funds. It's not centralized. This we don't we don't hold, we don't hold custody of your funds at all. You're the true monarch. We built this and gave it to the world for free. All right, and back in 2017, 2018, something like that, and just keeps getting better and better. We did add a token to it for full disclosure. The fam wanted that, but um, we haven't spent much time at all um, on that whatsoever. We wanted to make sure that we keep delivering in crazy tech and just crazy, incredible technology um, that the world will just 
the fintech world, the crypto world is just going to be like in awe of. And so we've been doing that with our heads down for the past three, four years, something like that. So when you see what comes out here rather quickly, I think it's going to be pretty game changing, pretty game changing. So I appreciate and love all the fam that's been with Monarch from the beginning. I think that uh, you're going to be very pleasantly surprised with what we release. So anyways, uh, Monarch, you can peer to peer piece of cake. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the rest of these questions. Uh, let's see. So we just covered, uh, is Bitcoin a business? Um, who is Satoshi? All right. So it can't be hacked. All right. So it can't be hacked. Let's go ahead and uh, give me one second here. All right. So, all right, let me just break this down. I'll, I'll do this in pieces. I'll read these articles and then give you what's going on up here in my brain. So that way you'll, you'll have a little bit of, uh, I don't know, a little bit of substance behind it before. before. All right, so what is a 51% uh, attack and how is it prevented? So this is a very big issue in cryptocurrency. It's called a 51% attack. All right. And this is one of the ways that people take control of a blockchain and steal a bunch of money from it and screw the people of it over. So a 51% attack occurs when a single miner or mining group takes majority control of a proof of work based blockchain and double spends some of its coins. So this can also happen on proof of stake, but, and it could even happen on delegated proof of stake, but I'm not going to go into the weeds because I will, I know I will lose the fam as soon as I start explaining what proof of stake is, how proof of work works, how delegated proof of stake works and all the different variations. So um, I'll just keep this in crayon. So a 51% attack is quite possibly the problem most feared in the entire blockchain industry. In a 51% attack, one miner or mining group gains or purchases enough hash power to take control of 51% or more of a blockchain network and double spend the cryptocurrency involved. No successful 51% attack has been carried out on the Bitcoin blockchain so far. Hmm. <clears throat> but it has happened in networks of altcoins with far less hash power and poor network security. So, ghash.io incident. Okay, so this is back in June of 2014. They actually did get over the 51% mark. So it's a mining pool. And uh, ghash reached a level of about 55% of the Bitcoin's hash rate over a 24-hour period. Hash rate is kind of like, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to get too in the weeds. Um, just, just picture a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of work and they're trying to validate a bunch of transactions and then the first person that validates all these transactions, they put it into a block. If it's deemed to be correct, then they're paid 6.25 Bitcoin. So there's an incentive for people to do mining because they're rewarded in Bitcoin for doing the work, proof of work. Uh, that's about as simple and it's riddled with all kinds of stuff that isn't specific enough, but ho hopefully you get kind of the premise behind it. Um, however, since then, numerous actual 51% attacks have occurred on other smaller networks, including Ethereum Classic, tons of other ones as well. Uh, thanks to its sheer volume in the agreement across the Bitcoin community to preserve the network at all costs, Bitcoin has remained secure to date. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. To date. But remember that, to date. 
let's jump into some of these mining pools. All right, so you just said in here that you can purchase hash power. You could actually purchase um, like computation from a company that'll actually do what you want them to do. Like, so say you wanted to attack a Bitcoin um, blockchain or, you know, an Ethereum classic blockchain or uh, Litecoin, um, any of these that um, it was, what is it, Litecoin? I forget the name of it, but there's a, a Litecoin variation of Charlie Lee's Litecoin. Anyways, this has happened lots of times where they purchase computing power to take down a blockchain, right? Or to exploit the blockchain and steal cryptocurrency from it. I think that's about the easiest way I can say to do it is if you're able to take over the computation power, if you have enough computers doing enough work, you can actually take over 51% of the network and then steal currency from its users and from the blockchain itself, roll back transactions. So the immutability, like people say that blockchain is immutable. If you do this, it's not because then you could change you know, the different transactions that happened. You could roll back. If I sent you 10 Bitcoin, you get it in your wallet. I do a 51% attack. I can roll back that transaction, put it back into my wallet. It leaves your wallet. And you're like, what the hell just happened to my 10 Bitcoin? So I just want to explain to the fam how easy this is to do. Okay. This here comes from btc.com. It's explaining to you what the pool distribution is. This is the hash rate, or let's just call it the computer power that is supporting the Bitcoin blockchain network. Okay, so these are groups of computers that are working together to ensure the security of the Bitcoin blockchain network. If they were to stop, the Bitcoin blockchain network dies. Why do they keep doing it? Because they're paid. As soon as they generate a block, they are paid 6.25 Bitcoin and Bitcoin today is about $55,000, right? So that pays very well. But when you look at how few people are doing this work or few pools that are doing this work, you'll quickly understand how Bitcoin could have a 51% attack. Most of this, I would imagine, would come and it would be state-sponsored. China, Okay. A lot of these mining pools that are doing all the work are located in China, okay? So if the Chinese government goes to these pools, there's usually, they know exactly who they are, and they say, um, yeah, we're going to roll back the chain or we're just going to end this tomorrow, it could happen. Will it? I don't know. But let's just look. So you've got FT pool, you've got Poolin, you got Huobi pool. And you got ant pool. So you have these four pools right here that make up 53.4% of the hash rate of the Bitcoin network. What was the number needed? 51%. This here is 53.4, just these four. Now let's go into seven. Let's just say that you grab seven of these pools. You show up, you're the government. You say, you're going to do X, Y, and Z for me, or you're going to get freaking whatever they're going to do to you, right? Maybe they're going to, you know, tickle you with feathers, or maybe they're going to do something way worse. Who knows what they would do, right? But, so we already know that four enough is enough to do the 51% attack. But if they go to seven, it is 91% of the network. You get that? You add up all this hash power, this hash rate, 
If you get seven of these pools, you control 91% of Bitcoin. You only need 51%. So you got 40% more than you need just by going after seven people at one time. You're telling me the FBI, the CIA, China couldn't deploy seven teams at one time to take over 91% of the Bitcoin network. You're telling me China couldn't deploy four teams to take over 53.4% of the network if it wanted to? Of course it could. So you get lots of, this is where it's going to get really sticky for a lot of the fam that's in the cryptocurrency. Um, they're just, you know, so deep into it. And they're just, they just love Bitcoin. And I love Bitcoin too. I'm one of the biggest advocates for it. But I'm just telling you, this is a vulnerability. Nobody wants to address. And they'll say that I'm crazy. And, oh, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's like, no, that's exactly how it works. You just don't want to admit it. I'm telling you, a state-sponsored attack, if they just go and hit the pools, the people that run the pools, they control the code. They know what's going on. They have tons of these mining rigs. If they just hit four of them, they've got enough to control Bitcoin. They had seven of them. They've got enough to control it um, by like 91%. They got 40% more than they need. So when they say that Bitcoin can't be hacked, this is another way they could be hacked. All right. You just take control of the hash rate. You take control of the mining pools that control the hash rate. You need to hit four. That's it. Here is a, uh, another one. So then they say, and this works on lesser blockchains because Bitcoin has a ton of uh, support, adoption, things like that. What I'm going to explain now works much easier on smaller blockchains, smaller cryptocurrency projects. Hopefully, I haven't lost the fam on all that. I tried to dumb it down as much as I possibly could, and I know it's going to it's going to upset a lot of the fam in the crypto community, but they should be used to that by now because I just tell it the way it is. All right, I'm not selling nothing here. All right, so um, bad actors rent hashing power to hit Bitcoin gold with new 51% attacks, and these are old articles. You can find this. This is back from January of uh, last year. So Bitcoin Gold is it's just it's it's an alternative coin. Basically, any coin, any token, anything that's other than Bitcoin is called an altcoin or alt token. <coughs> Excuse me, must be the Rona. All right. So uh, Bitcoin Gold, it's an altcoin, is a cryptocurrency that forked from Bitcoin in 2017. That again that again got hit by a 51% attack. So it's got hit more than once, all right? Occurring Thursday, according to tweets from the Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin Gold team, two deep blockchain reorganizations or reorgs resulted in double spins of 1,900 Bitcoin Golds and 5,267 Bitcoin Golds, respectively. The losses amounted to around $87,500 at current prices. We did not know if they successfully extracted any value from any exchange. So they don't know if they stole the coins, but they don't know if they took them off the exchange and converted them into Bitcoin or Ethereum or fiat for that matter. Advanced risk control systems and exchanges make it likely one or both uh, attacks failed, they wrote. A 51% attack is conducted by actors who are able to mine a blockchain network with more than half its hashing power, hence the name. This enables transactions to be written, potentially diverting previously spent funds to a different address, that'd be the thief's, as was in the case here. Based on nice hash data, the estimate cost to uh, the attacker of each reorg was roughly 0.2 Bitcoin, so around $1,700. So for about $1,700, they actually rented hash power. They rented, like, like, remember the mining pools we were just talking about? They rented cloud miners, cloud computation services, and got back like what, $87,000? $87,500, all right? So it cost them about $1,700. They netted $87,500, depending on whether they cashed it out into another cryptocurrency. 
Um, he added around the amount uh, that would have been given out in block rewards. As such, even if exchanges managed to block the double spent coins, the attack would have broken even. This is not the first time Bitcoin Gold has seen such an attack. In May 2018, around 18 million in the cryptocurrency was reportedly double spent. So double spent means I sent you 10 Bitcoin, I pulled it back and went right back into my pocket. So they really don't know if this actually cost them money or not because they don't know if they converted it into Ethereum or Bitcoin or if they converted it into fiat, but this is just one article, all right? It's happened plenty of times where they've done 51% attacks and they've actually um, you know, taken that cryptocurrency that they stole and then converted it into a different cryptocurrency and they used a mixer or something like that and they got away with it. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. So uh, latest Bitcoin bug. So this is what I've always talked about when it came to Bitcoin. And a lot of people get upset at me when I talk about this, but Bitcoin is made up of thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code. And yes, yes, it is open source, meaning anybody can look at the code and you can go through all of it. And if you're smart and you're super experienced in C++, maybe you'll catch a bug. Maybe you won't, but we're trusting code. It's no different than Google. It's no different than, you know, Facebook. It's lines of code. If you have a bug, sometimes that button doesn't work when you push it because there's a bug in the code and you push that button and nothing happens and you want it to do something, but it doesn't do it. Well, in the case of Bitcoin, um, if there's a bug in the code, you might be able to exploit that and create a bunch of free Bitcoin. In the case of Bitcoin, only 21 million Bitcoin are supposed to ever exist. I believe that's supposed to occur somewhere around 2140, okay? So by the year 2140, there's supposed to be about 21 million Bitcoin. To date, people argue, because a lot of people lost their Bitcoin. They didn't think it'd be worth anything. So they threw away their laptop or they just lost access to their wallets. They speculate there's between like anywhere from 12, 13 million Bitcoin to like 16 million Bitcoin. Nobody really knows. They just look at wallets that haven't moved um, Bitcoin in a long time. And so they just think that maybe that stuff is lost, but really could just be somebody that hodls for a very long time. And hodl means hold. They just, they don't, you know, spend it. They wait till it hits a certain price and that's when they dump it. And maybe that price hasn't occurred yet. So, um, what I've always said, Bitcoin's biggest, um, I, I would say my fear of Bitcoin being exploited or doing something, um, I, I guess, different from what it was intended to do. Like, say you have a bug and you take that 21 million Bitcoin and now you turn it into 21 trillion Bitcoin because there's a bug and somebody was smart enough to exploit it and extract the Bitcoin and spend it before the network knows what happened then they would have to roll back the network, roll back the chain, remember the, the, the hash power? They'd have to roll it back to fix that transaction. And when you do that, well, then the entire cryptocurrency ecosystem realizes that Bitcoin is not immutable. And so you've just destroyed whatever faith you had in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is supposed to be immutable and transparent. But if something like that happened and they would have to fork the chain or roll it back, you would know that um, Bitcoin could be reversed, all right? So that would, all the original Bitcoin people that have all the faith in it would know right away that just like CZ threatened to do, or mentioned he could do it, um, the founder of Binance. So anyways, 
what I worry about is a bug, somebody exploiting a bug. And that's exactly what happened. And this was back in, uh, I think, September of 18. Yes, September of 18. Uh, this week's major Bitcoin bug was even worse than developers initially let on. The bug originally rocked the Bitcoin world when it was reported when it, when it was reported the vulnerability could be used to shut down a chunk of the network. While this sounded bad enough for many, it turns out developers for Bitcoin Core kept a second, bigger part of the bug a secret, as disclosed through an official Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures uh, report, the CVE. An attacker could have eventually used it to create new Bitcoin above the 21 million hard cap of coin creation, thereby inflating the supply and devaluing current Bitcoins. Here's the kicker. Who found it? Finding such a serious bug was a stressful position for developers to be in. According to the report, an anonymous user, maybe Satoshi, an anonymous user originally filed a report about the denial of service bug to top developers of the Bitcoin core and Bitcoin ABC uh, dev teams. The uh, main software implementation of Bitcoin Cash. All right. About two hours later, chain code engineer and Bitcoin core developer Matt Corallo um, realized the bug could have been exploited to print unlimited freaking Bitcoin. But somebody popped in. Who? An anonymous user. So an anonymous user had to read through thousands of lines of C++ code to find this bug that had been there for God only knows how long that if somebody else had seen it, they could have printed unlimited Bitcoin. So that's one of the biggest fears that I have with Bitcoin is just bugs in the code. You have to trust the code, as they commonly say in the crypto space, trust the code. Well, code has bugs. I know we do this every freaking day. It's got bugs. Tech is tough and tech takes time and tech has bugs. It's really that simple. So I think you're going to see that in DeFi. You're going to see some people lose a crap ton of money in DeFi. Just telling you right now, but I digress. All right. So Next question. Um, see, Bitcoin is not digital gold, it's digital cash. Okay, so I'm not even gonna go into an article for that. Um, it absolutely is digital gold. I've said that from the beginning and now it's becoming uh, widely um, adopted as that. It's very simple. If you buy Bitcoin, why are you buying it? Be honest with yourself. You probably want it to go up in price, correct? you're probably not buying something just because you believe in it. You're like, I just want to support it. I've got an extra $5,000. Then I just love what they're doing so much. I don't care if I lose it all. I don't need the money. Here's five grand. Go at it. It's like you're donating to a Trump campaign. Do you really do that with Bitcoin? Of course not. You put that $5,000 in there hoping you're going to be the next, who wants to be a millionaire, right? That's exactly what it is. So why in the world did you spend that for coffee? What do you think the dude that spent like 40,000 Bitcoin on pizza feels like today? You think he wants that money back? Was that pizza really that freaking good? Give me a break. Nobody is using this stuff for commerce unless, unless it's a plan B currency. You're in Venezuela or a place like that. that is just riddled with inflation and you just got to, you got to sell whatever you got, right? Just to make sure you take care of your family. This is digital gold. People are using this and storing this and hoping it appreciates in value period. This is not what Satoshi Nakamoto envisioned for it. Satoshi Nakamoto in the very beginning said he wanted a peer-to-peer a -peer digital currency, right? digital cash, peer-to-peer -peer currency. Well, the core dev team didn't go along with what he wanted. He wanted bigger blocks. He wanted to do all kinds of different things, speed up the network and make it you know fast and cheap. Problem is, it never went that way. 
it did something opposite. It became scarce. It became a store of value. Okay. So you got supply, you got demand, economics 101, scarcity, 21 million total ever. People in California, if they all wanted a Bitcoin, couldn't even get a Bitcoin, right? So it's scarce, right? So actually what he did was he ended up creating digital gold. And that's what it's, that's why all these financial institutions are coming into it. So many of them every single day. You got Soros that came into it today. Freaking Soros came into it today. All right. I'm telling you, everybody's coming into Bitcoin now. All right. All these financial players. Why? Because they believe in it. They're just going to throw money at it and be like, hey, it's cool. I don't, I just believe in the team. Well, really? What team? You know, it's a bunch of people that just uh, work on it in their spare time. Uh, the core devs that uh, haven't necessarily done what Satoshi wanted. That's not what they're doing. They want it to appreciate in value. So it's like using Apple stocks to buy coffee or pizza. You're not going to freaking do it. What are you going to use? So that leads us to the next question. What do you use for peer-to-peer -peer digital cash? I've said from the beginning, and I got a ton of hate from this, but I would imagine the uh, the crypto community out there that bashed on me for stable coins for all these years are fi finally starting to see the light. You might have been a little late to the game, but now I'm sure you're starting to see it. So stable coins, what are they? All right. So these things are supposed to be pegged to a dollar. Uh, simply put, uh, a stable coin is a type of cryptocurrency whose value is tied to an outside asset such as the US dollar or gold or to stabilize the price. So essentially a stable coin or a stable token is pegged to a basket of assets, physical assets that supposedly equal $1 worth. Let's just use USD, all right? So supposedly, there's a basket of assets that are backing each one of those tokens or coins to $1 worth of assets. That's how it's supposed to be. A lot of people have heard of TUSD, a lot of people have heard of Tether, they've heard of DAI, USDC, so many different things, right? There's a ton of stable coins out there. Supposedly, there's a dollar backing them. Why is this important? Because you're not gonna spend Bitcoin to buy pizza, but you would spend dollars to buy pizza. Why? Because you're not worried that your dollars are going to go up in value. You're not worried that that pizza is you know, going to cost you, you know, freaking a trillion dollars of dollars, USD dollars, you know, 10 years fast forward, right? You're just spending dollars like you do every single day. Actually, there might actually be an incentive to spend dollars as fast as you can and buy assets just because you know that the dollar could go down in value. So this is what people would use to basically do commerce in the cryptocurrency world. So if you wanted to use, um, if you were gonna buy coffee, you would use fiat, you would use a US dollar, or you would use Apple Pay, which is guess what, US dollars. You would use stable coins, stable tokens, which is the same thing. It's basically backed by $1 of assets, all right? So that's what people would use as peer-to-peer -peer digital money. Let's see what the next question here was. Uh, all right. How to store cryptocurrency? Hardware wallets are expensive and buggy. Uh, they can steal my money. Okay. Um, simple. Monarch wallet. And that's why we built it in the very beginning. And it's just gotten better ever since. So for the fam out there that doesn't know what a hardware wallet is, it's typically a device that you send your cryptocurrency to, and they say that it is a cold storage wallet, meaning that there's levels of security that goes through it to ensure that outside actors can't access your funds. 
in um, different layers of security when you go to send your funds to make sure that people can't hack your funds. Again, they cost money. My experiences with them have always been bad. They always make me um, make my butt pucker. It's like for anybody that's had a hardware wallet, uh, you get your cryptocurrency on it. It seems like it needs to do an upgrade. Like it needs some kind of update all the time. So you have to end up deleting all of your cryptocurrency off of it to then reformat it and put the new code on it and install their update. And God only knows why you needed the update in the first place. Was there some kind of vulnerability? We have no idea, right? So it, it makes your butt pucker because you're like, oh my God, I just erased all of my cryptocurrency and I had to get this update and I just hope to God that it comes back. It, and so even if you get that out of the way, then you have to like, I, I don't know, uh, just deal with, deal with, um, you know, the, the delay, right? So it's a delay, even if you're past, like, I'm not worried about it. I have my seed. It's not a big deal. Um, you still have to go through all that time, right? Then you have to delete the stuff and reformat, put the new software on it. It takes time. It's scary. And for the fam out there that has never done any of this type of stuff, it is terrifying. Okay. Then the people that actually made the hardware device, it's been said that some of them have the ability or think about it. They made the actual hardware device. They give you the seed. They give you the keys for that wallet. Okay. So they created it and they give you the seed and they give you the keys. Sometimes it's generated in the device, but not all of them. Okay. Not all of them, but they also created the code that generates it in the device. So there's suspicions. And it's actually, I believe, been proven in a couple of different instances that these companies actually had access to the people's funds when the entire purpose of the wallet was to be decentralized, to be safe, to be cold, to not have those vulnerabilities. All right. So there's lots of issues with hardware wallets and you're just trusting the tech. All right. And you're trusting these companies that are mostly outside of the United States and you're hoping that your money is going to be safe. And even my brother right? He's like, I, I got this, uh, this crypto, uh, cold storage wallet. And I'm like, bro, seriously. And he's like, dude, all my money's gone. All of it's gone. Nobody will get back to me at customer service. I'm like, you know, that we created Monarch, right? He's like, yeah, I, I use it every day. I'm like, you know, that you can use it as a cold storage wallet. He's like, what? I didn't have to spend, you know, the hundred bucks or whatever it was. No, you just simply take your old Android phone, your old Apple phone, download the Monarch wallet to it, Transfer your cryptocurrency to it, put it in airplane mode, put it, turn off the Wi-Fi, turn it off, throw it under your bed, do whatever you want with it. You now have basically a cold storage wallet. Really that simple. It didn't cost you anything. It's one of your old phones and you just download free software. You put it on there, cold storage wallet, that simple. Turn off the Wi-Fi, put it in airplane mode. If you need to create a new wallet, guess what? It generates the seed and the keys all within the app on your device, not at Monarch Blockchain Corporation headquarters where we create all this stuff. No, it doesn't create, we don't create the seed. The, the tech itself within the phone does that for you. So you and you alone are the Monarch, again, of your funds. You could just remember the 12 word seed, throw away your phone, set it on fire, hit it with a hammer, like do it. You can pull a Hillary Clinton on it, right? Just remember the 12 word seed and you can walk across any border in the world then go grab yourself a burner phone or another Android, Apple phone, whatever. Download the Monarch wallet for free. Put in your 12-word seed. 
like magic. All your money comes back. Simple. All right. So there's a free hardware. Um, I guess uh, there'd be a hardware wallet hack. The next one is uh, if the dollar crashes, Bitcoin explodes in price. Uh, you know, I've heard that for years. Like, actually, I better check the chat. I'm very sorry because I've been rambling for, oh, my God, like an hour and a half. Uh, so Janie says Soros plus Elon Musk. Yeah, so many people have been coming into Bitcoin every single day. Like some billionaire oil dude, you know, is now going to be putting his, um, you know, his, his, his um, working operators, operating capital from his corporations into Bitcoin like Musk did, like Sailor did. Um You've got these new cryptocurrency baskets. You got Soros coming in. It's just, yeah, it's going to be nutty. It's going to be nutty. There was like uh, five or ten other corporations that, um, five or ten other corporations that are putting in like forty to fifty to a hundred million dollars into Bitcoin to act as their bank. Right? Uh, Emma says um, it was Bitcoin Cash developer. Why do they call him an anonymous user? What's his name? And so Bitcoin Cash. So if you remember. Um, if you remember, who did Satoshi Nakamoto give the keys to Bitcoin to? So Satoshi Nakamoto vanished. Right? Nobody knows who he is, but he turned over the keys to Bitcoin. He basically turned over, you know, the, the social media, the stuff that they had, their boards. They he turned over all of that to one person. Who did he turn that over to? This is a, a question for Emma B to see if Emma knows. So she hasn't responded yet. And, you know, there's a delay here, too, because I have an aggregator for, for uh, YouTube and uh, Periscope. And I think it's LinkedIn, maybe Twitch. So anyways, anyways, it's a, it's a guy named Gavin Andreessen. All right. So if, if you know who Gavin Andreessen is, he also got into it with the core developers. Who else got into it with the core developers of Bitcoin? Oh, there we go. So it just popped up, MOB. <laughs> All right. I can't tell if you popped in after I said it or whatever, because it's got a stupid delay. And then I see my son, Aaron, did. So he turned over all access to Bitcoin to Gavin Andreessen. What did Gavin do? Ended up getting into it with the core developers of Bitcoin, ended up leaving. Who did he support? I'll wait. Actually, I better not wait. Roger Ver. All right. So Roger Ver, who was one of the first people behind Bitcoin. So Gavin Andreessen ended up <coughs> supporting Roger Ver saying Bitcoin Cash is Satoshi's original vision. And I don't mean Craig Wrong or Craig Wright's vision, right? So anyways, no, it's not my turn. So anyways, um, so Gavin Andreessen supported Bitcoin Cash. Roger Ver, you know, it's Bitcoin Cash. Um, you can go down that road. I don't want to dig too deep into all that stuff. Um, Non-coincident synchronicity says, Monarch, can you explain how if you wallet lose interface with blockchain, your crypto is still there? Yeah, yeah, that's another question. Um, so, but back to the original question, which was uh, ABC developer. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you look at who Satoshi turned the code over to, right? If you look at who the original players were, the real people behind the original Bitcoin, they kind of shifted over to Bitcoin Cash. Like them, love them, hate them, whatever. If you look at the people behind the Bitcoin core, they actually created ancillary products to plug into the Bitcoin blockchain to make money for themselves. Okay. Love me or hate me for it. It's the truth. They created secondary businesses, second layer solutions, whatever you want to call it, but they found a way to make money off of Bitcoin because they weren't making money as a developer, right? 
you're just developing on Bitcoin. And unless you have a big bag of Bitcoin, it doesn't really do you any good to, you know, to, to work on it all the time. But if you're like, hey, Bitcoin has a problem. It is really, really expensive to send Bitcoin. And it's really, really slow if you have a lot of people trying to do it. So what do you do? You come up with a second layer solution that you can then charge money for. Basically, problem solution, right? There's a problem. Bitcoin's slow because these people were a-holes and did against what Satoshi said to do, make bigger blocks, make it faster, make it cheaper. They're like, eh, we'll make a second layer solution that we can then charge money for and make money. So that's what's happened. Uh, you've seen that happen. That's why if you look at Bitcoin Cash, it's fast, it's cheap, it's reliable. I've, I've brought a lot of people over to that side. And anyways, Bitcoin is the original Bitcoin. No, hand, no, no doubt about it. It's just not what Bitcoin could be had the core devs done what was right, period, in Satoshi's vision. So hopefully that kind of answers your questions. Um, so how can you explain? So can you explain how if your wallet loses interface with blockchain, your crypto is still there? So like with Monarch, Monarch isn't um, holding your block. It, it isn't holding your cryptocurrency. Think of it as like a viewer into blockchain itself. The cryptocurrency is held on the blockchain and Monarch just allows you to see what is there and then it allows you to extract or move it, all right? But you could do that with any crypto uh, decentralized cryptocurrency wallet as long as you keep your Monarch seed. So as long as you have that seed and you find yourself another decentralized wallet that takes a 12-word seed, you could put that 12-word seed into that other decentralized wallet if it supports those cryptocurrencies, you know, like Bitcoin and Ethereum or Litecoin or, or whatever. And you'd be able to do the same thing over there. You don't need Monarch. It could go out of business tomorrow, get hit by a bus. I could, the whole dev team, whatever. As long as you got your 12 words, you could put it into another decentralized wallet and have access to all that funds. It's really that simple. We're not moving your money around. We're allowing you to interact with the blockchain through a display, through a, a viewpoint, right? Um, essentially, as, as easy as I can put that. And you can just take the 12 words and just throw it onto another decentralized wallet that covers the exact same um, cryptocurrencies. Uh, Crypto Deity, if your app isn't available, what other wallets will accept the 12 words to recover the Bitcoin? Someone 18, most 24. Yeah, you can go as many freaking words as you want with the seed. You know, 12 works fine. We add bio and all that kind of stuff. There's other wallets out there that do it. It's, it's very easy. You just do a 12-word seed wallet um, search in, in Google, and they'll pull up a bunch of them for you. Um, let's see. It was mostly due to security right. Uh, I don't know what that means, brother. Let's see. Sheree says, uh, Shahid, uh, learning about this stuff. I'm old. Don't understand what you meant by what you just said. So let me double check uh, Foxhole. And DLive. Oh, sorry, fam, over on DLive. Hey, um, if you have questions for me on DLive, just make sure you at me, all right? And let's see here. Let's see. Reasonable TV, what is going on? What is going on, brother? You got a great show over there. Uh, it's the protocol that needs to be trusted. The code should back up the protocol. Uh, it's the protocol that needs to be trusted. The code should back up the protocol. But again, I mean, code, you have to trust the code. So if you have a cool protocol, that's great. But if you got buggy code, then the protocol doesn't mean crap. Um, Bitcoin never hits scale ceiling, Satoshi. Well, Satoshi also said that if Bitcoin, once it hits 
scalability. Once the technology is there, once the use the use adoption is there, we need bigger blocks, and that would have solved so many problems. All right, you can go back and see that on the boards. Um, let me just double check this. Fortunately, so this is Thumper Rose. What is going on? Fortunately, not many people even learn C++ now. Yeah, exactly. So how are you going to audit thousands of lines of code? Big sexy Anon, what is going on? When will the spark drops happen? Yeah, um, I believe that is tied to XRP, if I remember right. And right now they have some SEC issues. So that's going to be, I would imagine if they were smart, they would wait until that is all worked out. So let me double check over here on Foxhole. Let me try to refresh this. For whatever reason, whenever I go back to it, I get this black screen. Let me see if it works on this side over here. No, same thing, black screen. Very sorry, fam, on Foxhole and Pilled. Once it goes live, I will uh, I will go back to it. Jay, what is going on, brother? Jay Crypto Minded. Rick Richardson, always appreciate you, brother. Uh, let's see, what are we going to talk about next? Let's see here. Oh, yeah, if the dollar crashes... Bitcoin explodes in prices. <laughs> um, so if the dollar crashes, I think it's talking about um, what they're saying is if the economy collapses, if it implodes, if you've got um, basically the entire world is coming down, all of the there we go. If the uh, Matt, what is up, brother? 1776, one of the amazing um, creators of the Foxhole app. Uh, for some reason, I lost my chat. I can't go back and see all the past comments. So if there was anything that you had specific for me, just at me and I'll answer your question. Very sorry. I'm not, I'm not ignoring you. It looks like it's taking a minute for everything to come back. Yeah, we've got uh, almost 1,200 of the fam over on pill.net and Foxhole. So very sorry. I just can't uh, can't see your comments. But uh, much love back at you, Matt. Love the platform you and the other Matt and Methods are doing an incredible job. All right, so let me get back on, on point here. So if, if the world is going to hell in a handbasket and all the currencies out there are basically, you know, going to zero, the, the earth is coming to an end, what freaking good is Bitcoin, right? I mean, seriously, what good is any currency? Seriously, like uh, what's going to be worth something? Uh, food, guns, ammo, right? <laughs> that's that's what's going to be worth something. Bitcoin, there's been several instances where you can see drops in the market and Bitcoin goes right down with it because everything's tied to the dollar. What is Bitcoin pegged to, right? And I don't mean pegged, but what is Bitcoin? What is the value allocated in? USD, right? All right. So I get for all the fundamentalists out there that say, well, yeah, but if the dollar goes down in value um, or inflation or any of that kind of stuff, then Bitcoin would go up in price because of, you know, the dollar crashing, stuff like that. No, if the dollar is the world reserve currency, if it goes to hell, that means our country goes to hell. And that means Bitcoin goes to hell. And most of the other currencies, maybe other than China, because that's the biggest one we have to worry about, is going to go to hell. But if they all go to hell, then Bitcoin's going to go to hell too. It's it's not going to just like, there there may be, there may be a point in time, okay, when hyperinflation hits, because it looks like we're going that route, uh, where Bitcoin could surge, could for a moment in time, but you have to like time it just right. 
And then you're cashing out into more fiat and you have to spend it on assets very quickly before it goes to zero. But anyways, what I'm getting at is a very simple approach to this is if everything goes to hell, so will Bitcoin. What's going to be important? It's going to, what's going to be important is, you know, food, shelter, and protection, right? Uh, Bitcoin is probably not going to get you that if the entire infrastructure goes to hell, like a lot of the the preppers and people like that think. They think that, you know, if the entire world economy goes goes under, uh, Bitcoin, you know, would surge. No, it's, it's a wrap for all currencies at that point, except if there is a new superpower or something like that. This is just an article, uh, just a really dude's opinion. Uh, David Gonzalez off of uh, Quora. It says, um, and he doesn't seem like he's really for Bitcoin, but he makes a couple decent points here. It says, I believe it's too early to tell if Bitcoin will take over as no one really knows. Again, the blockchain is the future. Bitcoin could be to the blockchain like AOL was to the internet many years ago. Where is AOL? It's gone. All fiat currencies will crash with the dollar as they are all tied together. There are other currencies in the making, but will the world put their faith in a corruption-filled political system of China? I don't think so. If all currencies are tied together and the dollar collapses, there will be nowhere to trade your Bitcoin. If you bought your Bitcoin in dollars and the dollar collapses, so will your Bitcoin value. So like I said, there will be a moment in time, possibly if that does occur, that you know, you're going to see the Bitcoin go like a trillion dollars and then good luck cashing out. I mean, you, you need some kind of fiat off ramp. <laughs> Who's going to do it? I mean, really? Any, anytime, just to make this simple, um, usually to cash out cryptocurrency, you need a centralized type exchange to go from cryptocurrency to fiat. All right. Yes, you can go crypto to crypto. Okay. You can do that in non-centralized, you know, platforms. Okay. You don't have to go to like a, you know, a centralized banking type network, but whenever there's been any kind of like black swan events where crypto dumps massively or surges instantly, usually what we've seen countless times is those exchanges pause trading or at least your ability to cash out or even transact in those currencies until things normalize and stabilize. So you have to worry about that too. So even if Bitcoin hit a trillion dollars because the dollar just completely hyperinflated, who's going to, who's going to take your, <laughs> who's going to cash you out, right? Who's going to cash you out? They can be like, they're going to give you the middle finger. Um, so here's what we do know what happens uh, in a crash. All right. So here's just, you know, some, some evidence of things that happen. I think I've got uh, one, two, three. I think I got three more because I realize I've been going for about an hour and 45 minutes. But I think this is important stuff that this is just my opinion as always. So what happens to cryptocurrency during a um, crash? No cryptocurrency has ever had to face life amidst an economic recession. The first cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, was born out of the fire of the 2008 Bitcoin, or sorry, banking crisis with its mysterious creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, clear about his aim to replace, to replace the monetary system ruled by central banks. Bitcoin, designed as a peer-to-peer -peer financial network, was designated as a new kind of money. Since 2008, other cryptocurrencies has proliferated proliferated. <laughs> but Bitcoin stands head and shoulders above its competitors, accounting for roughly 65% of the total cryptocurrency market cap. However, the leading narrative for Bitcoin as 
price has changed significantly from Nakamoto's original vision. Bitcoin is now generally regarded as a store of value, with Bitcoin holders overwhelmingly opting to hodl, which was actually just a, a misspelling. It just means hold. Anyways, they just inverted the L and the D. But anyways, it's been embraced by the cryptocurrency community, and so now it's called hodl, hodl, right? But really, just means hold. So uh, rather than spend their digital money, right? And this article is a little dated too. So this is uh, from March of last year, all right? But it's still, I mean, you know, you can read the Bible. It's still as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Um, so let's see here. Four or 5,000 years ago, depending on what chapter you're reading, especially if you go back to Enoch. Uh, so Bitcoin's price has completely collapsed with a 50% drop in the last 24 hours from $8,000 to $4,400. Stock markets have been decimated as well, but with a drop still under 10%. Less than five times as severe as uh, less less than five times as severe as Bitcoin's capitulation. Well, yeah, it's, it's a much bigger market cap, so you would expect that. Um, if the theories about Bitcoin as an uncorrelated asset were true, we should have seen shareholders fleeing with their money to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as an asset class. Well, it was still new then, still new now, so eh. But the prevailing orthodoxy about Bitcoin as a store of value would have expected its price to rise amidst a stock market crash, okay? That orthodoxy, unfortunately, has been exposed as a joke. Bitcoin not only failed to rise, it has fallen at five times the rate of other markets. So here's our buddy, Anthony Popliano. He says, um, it, was always, it was always a stupid idea to hope for a recession as a trigger to boost Bitcoin's price. And now the truth is in the numbers. I expect Bitcoin's price to recover eventually, as I expect the stock markets, number to, uh, markets to recover and retrace their losses. But the narrative of Bitcoin as a safe harbor may never recover from today. The drop of 50% drop in the space of 24 hours is difficult to ignore. So you got a little taste of it, you know, back in 2012 or 2020, March 12th of 2020. You got a little taste of it then. Imagine this on a global scale. What's going to be important? Like if, if the currencies of the world collapse, I mean, you know, it's going to be worth money, right? And it's going to be, you know, your food, right? Your, your guns and ammo, all right? It's not going to be some freaking internet magic money, all right? It's just not. But um, I'm not saying it's going that route. I'm not saying we're going to that dark place I'm describing. I'm just saying the people that have asked me that question, I'm just saying, I don't believe it's going to be worth anything at that point because no currency is going to be worth anything at that point. And the things that will be worth something are things that are physical that you can hold in your hands and feed your family with and stuff like that. So um, obviously I don't think we're going that route. I don't think we're going to go dark like that, but that's just to answer that question. All right. So the next one was, ah, yes. Um, Oh, actually, I missed one. It says, um, this YouTuber has all the inside trades. Don't miss out, YouTubers. Uh, they have the inside information. They will make you millionaire. Okay. Um, so I get this all the time. Um, there are some some solid people in the cryptocurrency space, um, but most of them are, are pitching you a product. Like if it's um, some type of newsletter, they're charging you for it. Then they're usually, usually uh, trying to uh, pump something that they're investing in or they're trying to pitch you something that they're investing in. There's usually, it's usually not like free information. Everybody has to feed their families or something. And you know, the, the people that have really made it in this world, 
um, it doesn't seem like they give away a lot of free information for some of them. There are some that, that do, but a few and far between. Most most of these YouTuber guys are getting paid by cryptocurrency companies to pitch you their products. Some of these products, some of these services may be good, right? I mean, it's no different than advertising on any other channel, right? I mean, you got Hoover vacuums that do it. You got Coca-Cola, Woca-Cola, whatever you want to call them. They advertise, you know, these people have to make a living, all right? But just know that they're being paid to put that product or service in front of you. Okay. Now, once you've got past that, whether it's good or bad, you get a lot of these people that are trying to get their subscribers into trading cryptocurrency. All right. They give their subscribers what's called a referral link. And using this referral link, they'll end up going to an exchange. And that exchange is going to know that that YouTuber or guy with a newsletter or whatever the hell it is, is going to know that they sent you there. That guy sent you there. And now any trade that you do on that platform, the person that sent you there is going to get a cut of all your transactions, of all your trades. All right. So it incentivizes, um, you know, a lot of these uh, bloggers and YouTubers and people with newsletters and stuff to promote their referral codes because they make money off of you. They don't care if you win or lose, but every trade that you make, they get a piece of the action, period. All right. So. When it comes to inf inside information with these YouTuber guys, most of these guys, you know, they um, they don't build blockchain. They don't they don't build you know anything of you know real value. They're just covering news. Like they're literally just reading people's newsletters, or you know, they maybe caught a conference or something like that. These people, you know, they only make money when the market goes up. They get wrecked all the time, or they make money off their subscribers, or they make money off of their newsletters, or they make money off of you know, the sponsors that give them money to, you know, promote whatever product or service. So be very, very careful. There's some good ones out there. Okay. There's some good ones out there that are honest. All right. I, I have a ton of friends that are in the, the crypto space that, you know, they do a great job, you know, but there's a lot that aren't. So be very, very careful who you follow. It's like that in anything. Um, so the people that think they're going to become zillionaires. All right. I get this all the time. Um, you know, like, oh man, you know, I just, I'm going to put a thousand bucks into it. And, you know, I've seen so many times, you know, where I've read articles that, you know, like a thousand bucks could be worth like a billion bucks. <sighs> so they, they think that they're going to get rich by putting a thousand dollars into something or a hundred dollars into something. And um, typically it's like 1% of those that strike. All right. What happens more often than not is they end up losing their ass. Okay. So the only time I've ever sworn any of my videos was the first one. I think the first one was letting the fam know I was going to do the videos for him. And then I think it was the second one where I told them how risky it was. And that's when I swore. And that was when the market dumped and you know, everybody else is pushing it. I'm saying, Whoa, pump the brakes. Uh, and then it dumped. So um, let's just go with a couple articles here. Why 80% of day traders lose money. And, and this is from June of last year, but you know, you can look at the numbers and you'll see that a lot of people say 95% of day traders lose their money. There's different statistics out there, but this is according to the stock platform eToro. So I know the founder is there. Um, you know, they have one of the biggest platforms. Now it's pretty much globally, right? They're, they're huge. They had all those, um, you know, very, uh, you know, witty and funny uh, eToro commercials. You probably saw them, you know, over the years, but anyways, um, from Israel, 
dudes uh, figured out a way to crush it. So they, they've created a, a huge exchange. Stocks, crypto, all that kind of stuff. When stocks were down, the crypto made them money. When crypto was down, stocks made them money. They were brilliant about how they went about it. But anyways, uh, this is according to the stock uh, platform eToro, and I don't even have an eToro account, right? <laughs> so I'm not showing it. Uh, they found that a whopping 80% of day traders lose money over the course of a year with the median loss of 36.30. And I don't think I have an account there. I know I've never traded on it. I don't, I'm just trying to think if I ever did a test drive and tried to like look at their platform, but I don't want to say anything that's not true. Uh, opinions are not, may, my opinions may not be true, but they're my opinions. Um, anyways, so I digress. It's no surprise that more than 75% of all day traders end up quitting within just two years. Just consider this, a finance professor from Arizona State University analyzed the performance of over 26,000 publicly traded stocks since 1926. He found that the average stock only traded for seven years and then, and then all of the money, all of their money. He found that the average stock only traded for seven years and then all of their money. Uh, the common return of stocks over the last 100 years was a loss of 100%. Less than 48.4% of stocks out of their delivered a monthly positive result. That's just slightly higher than the roulette wheel. Most importantly, out of the 26,000 stocks analyzed, only 1,000 of them accounted for all the profits in stocks since 1926. And out of those, just 86 stocks, one-third of 1%, were responsible for half of those gains. Think about that for a second. 1%. Um, only 1,000 of them accounted for all the profits out of 26,000. So out of 26,000 stocks analyzed, only 1,000 of them accounted for all the profits since 1926. And out of those, just 86 stocks, one-third of 1%, were responsible for half of those gains. It's crazy. From this data, only 4% of profitable stocks made more money than the average return of a one-month super-safe treasury bill. That's astounding. The other 96% of profitable stocks really only kept pace with inflation. So that now you got some data right there, okay? So you realize how small the bullseye really is, okay? All right, so here is a revealing look at the dot-com bubble of 2000, how it shapes our lives today. This is uh, from 2018, okay? But I like to liken the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry as the tech bubble. Love me or hate me for it, I really don't care. I see the same damn things that I saw then that I see now today. There's going to be a handful of winners and masses of losers. So you have to be very, very careful where you put your money, all right? So let's just go back to history. I love to look at history to kind of forecast what holds for us in the future. All right. So very great predictor, most of the time, of what happens in the future. Right. So the successful dot-coms of the late 90s and early thousands had a few things in common. They all vowed to change the world, had a crazy high valuations, and were wildly unprofitable. Here's a look at one of the company's rapid rise and falls and the bubble's lasting impact from the internet historian, Brian McCullough, all right? So all I'm gonna do here is just read, I suggest you go to ideas.ted.com and you can read the whole thing. I'm just gonna do the bullet points, all right? So in 1999, losing money was the mark of a successful dot-com. How do you hear about that? 
or how does that ring true today in crypto? How many, I would say, profitable blockchain or cryptocurrency companies are there out there that are not using their token as speculation? All right. It became a joke that the dot-coms that started out promising a grand vision of a more efficient way of doing business were almost to a company unprofitable. It became imperative to keep the pipeline of new companies and new IPOs coming. We call them ICOs, STOs, right? Over the second half of 99, it wasn't a question of whether or not the bubble existed. It was a question of how big, the how big a bubble it was and when it would pop. Was there any one thing that pricked the bubble? No, there was a myriad of factors. Of course, the era didn't end disaster disastrously for everyone. Here's where you have to listen, fam. Listen very, very closely here, okay? Very, very closely. Super, super important. I know that I've been reading and you're probably nodding off a little bit. Sorry, I'm going for two hours. But this stuff is important. We get a lot of questions. But listen to the next few paragraphs, okay? Stay with me here. Of course, the era didn't end disastrously for everyone. Between September of 1999 and July of 2000, okay, very short window, insiders at dot-com companies cashed out to the tune of $43 billion, twice the rate they'd sold at during 97 and 98. In the month before the NASDAQ peaked, insiders were selling 23 times as many shares as they bought. So who ended up holding the bag? Average investors. All right, the Ma's and the Pops, the people going off the hot stock tips, the people going off the hot crypto tips. You know, I got my family hitting me up all the time, telling me, oh, what do you think of this one? What do you think of that one? Yeah, this one here is going to moon. It's going to go. It's going to go to the moon. This this guy on YouTube just told me I should buy this stuff. You know, it's like, well, was he paid to say? It? Does he have a big bag of it? You know, what's what's the deal? What's the tech look like? Does it work? Who's the team? What's their track record? All that kind of stuff. So anyways, with the, with the, the, uh, the dot-com bubble, the popping, who got wrecked? That's a common term in crypto. Who got wrecked? So everyday people were the most aggressive investors in the dot-com bubble at the very moment the bubble was at its height. And at the moment, the smart money was getting out. Remember, one of the keys that a good friend of mine, love him or hate him, he always said, get in at the end of the beginning and out at the beginning of the end. All right. I'm not sure if you know who that is, but I'll let you, I'll let you ponder on it. So, and at the moment, the smart money was getting out. So by 2002, 100 million individual investors had lost 5 trillion in the stock market. Back up. By 2002, 100 million individual investors, right? The moms and the pops, not the big firms, had lost 5 trillion dollars in the stock market. A Vanguard study showed that by the end of 2002, 70% of 401ks had lost at least one-fifth of their value. 45% had lost more than one-fifth of their value. So what is this telling you, fam? The people that get wrecked are the people that are not educated sufficiently to make these decisions in these financial instruments. And even the people that they go to for help, these brokers, and they're called brokers because like Kiyosaki always said, they're called broker because they're they're broker than you or I, and they tell you what to get into. Only 20% of those people actually invest in the crap that they're pushing down your throat. Remember that, okay? Um, I don't, I, I could do like a, I don't know, a two-week seminar on all this stuff for free, but 
all I'm trying to tell you is be very, very careful who you look at, who you listen to. Make sure that you always do your own research. Don't listen to some dummy on YouTube like me or anybody else saying to buy something because they probably have a bag of it and they're being paid to say it. Who knows? Uh, few people do things to educate for free. Most people do things to influence for a price, you know, now or in the future or something like that, right? That's just how things work. So be very, very careful who you listen to. Not all things are equal. Not all things are going to go up. A lot of this stuff, I believe, is going to go to zero. I would say 95 to 99% of these cryptocurrency projects are going to go to zero. Okay? So be very, very careful. Um, here, he tries to make a old case. It says, many have uh, made the case that the dot-com era was doomed to failure because, simply because there were too many companies chasing what at the time were too few users. Imagine that. Doesn't that sound a lot like cryptocurrency today? How many of you are actually out there using cryptocurrency in commerce or all of these crazy different ideas that these people were trying to build and deploy on a public that doesn't even understand what the hell blockchain is? I know people investing in DeFi and they have no idea what the hell DeFi is. They just say it's a hot term and it must go up. So they buy it. And these people have a lot of freaking money but they have no idea what the hell they're investing in. None. They don't know what decentralized finance is. No clue. And these people that are pushing all these types of different cryptos down, down your necks, be very, very careful. Because just like with the, um, the internet companies that survived the 2000 tech bubble from Tabitha uh, Jean Naylor, and this is uh, seven years ago. This is old. But how many of these companies actually survived? So you got uh, like a handful of real winners. We've all heard of Fang, right? So you got your your Facebook, your Apple, your Netflix, your Google. You think of those guys when you think of the, the stock market, right? But how many of those companies are there out there, really? It's going to be the same thing in blockchain. But anyways, the the winners of the tech bubble, Amazon. Okay, we know how um, you know Bezos is done. He's done well. His wife did pretty good too. I think she took half his money and ended up marrying a, I think I think their kid's school teacher or something like that. So she actually did okay, I think. Anyways, uh, eBay did well, um, Priceline did well, Apple and Cisco. But how many of the thousands went to zero? Uh, a crap ton. All right. So again, I like to look at history to forecast the future. I see many similarities in tech bubbles as blockchain bubbles. Okay. And for the people in the space that are all just raw, raw, raw blockchain because Bitcoin's going up and all this kind of stuff. Look, make your money while you can, all right? <laughs> Get out before it crashes. Because <laughs> there's going to be a lot in the crash, and there's going to be, just like we've seen through history, there's winners, and then there's a crap ton of losers. So just be careful what chair you're sitting in when the music stops, or if you're in a chair at all. All right? And I don't mean um, that blockchain or crypto isn't um, going to end up being widely adopted and be highly successful. I'm just saying that 99% of it isn't. You will be using crypto whether you want to or not. You will be using blockchain whether you want to or not. But if you're putting your life savings and stuff that you need for rent into a bunch of these crappy projects, be very, very careful. All right. Uh, pool together is the most fun in crypto for me, Mark. Here. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're not uh, losing money and you know, the money you lose isn't going to keep you from making rent or, you know, uh, paying, uh, you know, paying for food and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just trying to check the chat really quick. So Mark Ayer says he's a hodling monarch. Well, appreciate it, brother. It's, um, it's you know, one of those things. I've never, ever pushed it as a um, 
instrument of speculation. It will have some immense utility here in the very near future, future and as well as on our uh, video game right here, uh, Bullrun. So you can actually, you know, play the video game. The longer you last, the more credits you get, then you convert the credits into Monarch. All right. It's going to get better and better and um, it's free and it was uploaded to Apple on Friday the in the test flight or the beta version so by this week i'm hoping by friday apple uh, approves it and it'll be live for everybody to play on apple as well as android all right um we're down to the last couple questions here let's see here crypto is only used for illegal activities <laughs> all right so you had that in the beginning too right they always said that the internet was only used for illegal activities now imagine imagine um trying to, I don't even know, like just go through the day without having internet, without having your phone, without being able to look at memes and, you know, do commerce and all the kinds of stuff that we do every single day using the internet. Impossible, right? Well, they say that crypto is only used for illicit activities. Well, right now I argue it's only used for speculation, but here in the future, it's going to be used as a digital currency like we see in China. Okay. And the thing that's going to be used as a digital currency isn't Bitcoin. It's going to be stable coins and stable tokens. So that's coming. Get get that into your minds right now. There's no getting away from this. Bitcoin, sorry, blockchain and cryptocurrency, it's going to be everywhere whether you want it or not. All right? So you, it's best to, to learn now. But this is one that I get all the time. They're like, oh, crypto is only used for, you know, for illicit activities. Really? I would argue that uh, the U.S. dollar is the best instrument for illicit activities. All right. That's how we've seen, you know, briefcases full of cash, those ominous meetings in the dark, you know, watching, watching those movies or just using traditional banks that use what? Dirty fiat. So you, um, you're about people using some Bitcoin, you know, like a small percentage of them using for illicit activities as we covered in the beginning. It's, it's not anonymous. You're going to get caught. Um, usually if you use dirty dollars, you know, depending on what you're doing, maybe you can get away with it. But we know if they're over the past 20 years, all right? So check this out. The banking industry using dirty fiat, not Bitcoin, not Ethereum, not any of these other cryptocurrencies, just US dollars, $200 billion in fines. Mega banks rack up penalties from illegal activities. I thought, wait a minute, I thought it was, that was just Bitcoin. Wait a minute, this is banks, mega banks. What do you mean? Tell me more. Top U.S. banks have racked up almost $200 billion in fines. And we know that typically they're paying like a tenth of the damage that they do. They get like this little slap on the wrist when you look at like the damage that they caused. If you go back and you look at some of these lawsuits of, you know, like a bank will embezzle like a billion dollars and then pay $100 million in fines. So they're like 10x in their money. They're like, hey, let's keep doing this. Anyways, you can go back and find all kinds of examples of that, but I digress. So top U.S. banks have wrapped, racked up almost $200 billion in fines and penalties over the past 20 years from illegal activities in 395 major legal cases. Bank of America tops the list, followed by J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo, according to a new report, which also covers Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. The fees and penalties from 395 major legal cases since 2000 were disbursed among government agencies, investors, and consumers harmed by the bank's conduct. So for everybody that says Bitcoin is just used for illicit activities, I would argue that if you want to do that, use a bank. 
use some dirty fiat. All right. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, here. So here's his uh, 2020 in review, 10 of the largest regulatory fines this year's this year. So you got uh, Commerce Bank was fined um, 37.8 million I think pounds. Uh, Capital One fined $80 million. You got uh, OCC issues $85 million penalty. You've got uh, SCB fine for $107 million. Deutsche Bank, $150 million fine for Jeffrey Epstein. Where have I heard that name before? I, I'm sure it was totally harmless and completely in good faith and nothing the American people would ever want to see, right? Or just the world for that matter. But Deutsche Bank, $150 million fine for Jeffrey Epstein ties. Ties. I wonder what happened with his account. We all love to see those transactions. Who was on the other end of them? Well, I guess if it was Bitcoin, you could. But if it's a bank, maybe they don't want that record uh, being shown to the world. Western Union refunds $153 million for scam victims. A city to pay $400 million OCC fine for risk management failures. JP Morgan charged $920 million for market manipulation. JP Morgan charged $920 million for market manipulation. I just wonder how much they actually manipulated because we typically know that the fines are so much less than the profits they actually accrue. Westpac agrees to record um, AUD, so Australian currency, $1.3 billion fine for AML uh, failures. So that's anti-money laundering. That's AML. Uh, Wells Fargo agrees to pay a $3 billion fine for fraudulent accounts. Hmm. Wells Fargo says uh, topping the list is Wells Fargo, which agreed to a massive $3 billion penalty for historic account fraud stretching back years. So I would argue if you're going to do illicit activities, why not join the company of banks? It seems like they've been doing it forever, all right? And it seems like it pays pretty well. Otherwise, they would be out of business. So, um, all right. Let's see. I think I covered everything I wanted to cover on the illegal activities. I think this is the last one I'm covering. Um, no, no, there's there's one more. Okay. Um, so they say that cryptocurrency is tamper-proof. Um, so one of the big things that they say in cryptocurrency is trust the code. That sounds great. It's a catchy phrase. Sounds great. But somebody coded it. Do you trust that person? Do you trust Jack with Twitter? Do you trust Zuckerberg with Facebook? Maybe they started off noble in cause, but what happened to them? What happened to their platforms? Do you trust Google, right? So many different things. So to trust the code means you have to trust the creator of the code. You have to trust the people that actually built the project. And things change. So it would be like Dominion Voting Systems, ESNS, um, these voting companies. Do you trust their code? Do you trust that when you press Trump for president, that actually counted for trust Trump for president? It's a simple question. Do you think it could have been manipulated like all the reports that we've heard? Do you think that maybe, just maybe, somebody was incentivized to maybe switch it the other way around, to maybe push the votes to somebody else's favor, to maybe, I don't know, give 35,000 votes to any Democrat that's running for office automatically because that's what their software was programmed to do? Maybe that's why nobody can audit the software of any of these machines. They haven't been given access. 
maybe that's why they call it proprietary because they don't want us to look at the code and see what it was designed to do. So you have that, all right? You have to worry about the intentions of the people that created it in the beginning. Then you have to worry about those people being corrupted that created it because they'll have access to the code and they can change it to do whatever the hell they want or put a back door in and let other people come in and do whatever the hell they want. So you have to trust these people with a very, very, you know, like just <laughs> super like sophisticated level. It's like when you start thinking about all the stuff that this could do, it gets very sophisticated very quickly. Like so many different things that you could program this code that you trust to do or have sloppy code, right? You just have a bug, something happens, gets exploited. Some of the countries now, you know, involved in, you know, the decisions the software is supposed to make. So when they say that it's not, it's tamper-proof, it's really not. I've shown you that you can do a 51% attack on Bitcoin. I've shown you that there's bugs in the code that could be exploited. You then have to trust the people that create the code. And it's no different from anything else, just like Apple, just like Android. All this stuff is code, period. And you have to trust it. Well, most people do. They put their IDs in it. They put their biometrics in it. They put their passwords and personal information and the stuff that's most dear to them into this stuff. And they're trusting the people that wrote the code. And that's what you have to do with blockchain for the most part, even decentralized, even DeFi, all this stuff that these are buzzwords to generate excitement and bring in income to create profits for the programmers and founders that created the code that you have to trust. It's really that simple. So it's not tamper-proof. The people that wrote the code can put all kinds of stuff into it, backdoors, sloppy code, accidental, be hacked, all kinds of things can happen to every single blockchain out there. Anybody that says otherwise is completely delusional. All right. So um, this one here is uh, regulation. Yeah, they say regulation isn't coming. Again, delusional. Anybody that thinks that this stuff isn't going to be regulated to kingdom come is just crazy. They're out of their minds. Think about this. People out there um, in the fam, especially here in the cryptocurrency community, they probably have heard of a... Uh, a term called DeFi, which basically stands for decentralized finance, okay? So I'm not going to go real deep in the weeds because, my God, I've been going for two hours and 15 minutes already. But I think this stuff is important because you hear about these buzzwords all the time and people just have no idea what the hell they're talking about and they're just making people dumber for listening to them. Decentralized finance basically means that they created code, algorithms, things like that to operate outside of centralized controls, Meaning um, you can do loans and earn interest on your cryptocurrencies and things like this without using traditional banking partners, lenders, government agencies, thing like, things like that. Just stop and think to yourself for one second here. Do you really believe that the SEC, FINRA, the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, our government is going to allow people to create profits using something outside of their financial, you know, their financial, um, you know, arena where their hands are in, right? Their, their controls. You think they're going to allow them to make money. They're going to earn interest on their cryptocurrency. They're going to get loans on their cryptocurrency, benefit all this stuff anonymously without using certified or, you know, these, these, these banks or lending certified lending professionals, outside of the scope of the Federal Reserve and FINRA and the SEC and the Treasury, you really think that they're going to allow this environment to keep going 
without them putting controls and systems in place to at least know who you are and what you made or just take over the, the companies and the code. I don't know that they do this, but, and then make it their own infrastructure. If they come up with something really, really cool, like Bitcoin is really, really cool. So what do they do? They steal the idea. They steal the code. They create things like FedCoin or China makes their own version of cryptocurrency. Same thing, right? They just, they'll regulate everything that isn't theirs into kingdom gum. And then whatever is theirs that they want the world to use, that's what they'll push down your throats. So there's a window is what I'm getting at with like DeFi. Everybody's saying, you know, DeFi, DeFi, DeFi. That's great. That's great. It's, it's, um, there's a lot of really amazing technology that has come out because of this code, the algorithms that, that they've generated, the things that, uh, that happen simply because it was programmed to do that without these centralized controls in place. What I'm getting at is they're going to get regulated. You're going to end up just like, oh man, uh, Shapeshift. So um, our buddy there, uh, Eric Voorhees, created uh, Shapeshift. Um, it's amazing at swapping cryptocurrencies. You could trade like Bitcoin for Ethereum and you could do all kinds of amazing things until you couldn't. And then you had to do what's called a KYC, which is know your customer. Then they lost like 80, 90% of their business. All right. The same thing's going to happen in DeFi with all these different exchanges and all these different cool products. And there are some cool products. Don't get me wrong. There are some really cool things, but they're going to end up getting regulated. It's really that simple. They're going to get regulated. I'm not saying there won't be any value to them, but for people that say there's going to be no regulation, they're delusional. They're going to be regulated. It's like anything else. Look what they do to all these cryptocurrency exchanges. If you want to buy cryptocurrency, they have to know your customer, right? So they want to know who you are, where you live, your utility bill, your passport, your ID, all that kind of stuff. Now they have you. They know exactly what you're doing. Same thing is going to happen in this DeFi world. There are some really cool things that come with DeFi that I think are amazing, just like uh, with Monarch, for instance. It's decentralized, meaning that you and you alone are the Monarch. That means that somebody can't steal your money, right? That means a bank can't freeze your funds. That means it's always yours. They may know who you are, but it's still your money, and they can't do anything to it because it's the code, right? That's what it's programmed to do. Same thing with different things that you're going to see in decentralized finance. You're going to see some really cool things that come out for, you know, like uh, merchants and speculators and things like that. They're going to be amazing. They're going to do all kinds of really cool things, far better than like the stock market, far better than like Coinbase, all these different types of things. But just know regulation is coming because there's no way in hell that the peasants, which we are, that's what they consider us, are going to make king's money. All right. They're going to want to know who we are, how much we made, and then how much they can take. Simple. That is my opinion. All right. Uh, let's see here. All right. So this is not the end of the world. All right. Let me just double check. Uh, let me just double check the chat here really quick. So John H says, uh, Crypto Beatles, can I buy true USD? The app has no buy option. Uh, I'm not sure what app you're talking about. If you're talking about Monarch, then um, it should be there. You should be able to buy it. And if not, you will be in the newest update. Um, sorry. Uh, Sherry says, uh, I don't trust YouTube. Uh, top anything will get my son to help me get on Telegram and watch what you guys say. Only ones I trust so far are you and Robert. Well, I'm, I'm honored, Sherry. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, 
Chinese, uh, so Mark Ayers says Chinese uh, miners dominate BTC and ETH mining. Mining is also frowned upon. It's not green. Yeah, I mean, look, I showed you earlier, you only need to take control of four mining pools and you got 54% of the network or 53.4% of the network and you only need 51. You get all seven, you got 91% of the network. And most of them are in China, as our POTUS would say. All right, let me double check uh, Foxhole and Pilled. All right. So make sure you, you red box me. All right. Um, so just V says, uh, so mining is validating transactions in a very simple way. Yes. So in a very simple way. Yes, that is a, a great way to put it in crayon. So people understand looking up uh, the reason I was asking about copper as an investment is because SD bullion um, just started selling copper rounds and bars. I don't know that I would personally buy copper, but um you know, if it's something that you were going to like go and, you know, get that little penny machine and go get the pennies from 1981 and before, I think that's the year, right? 1981, I think is when they switched to copper or when they removed, they stopped using all copper. So if you were going to go to the bank and do stuff like that, then you could, um, oh, you can put pause on the chat. Yeah. I just lost all of it. <laughs> uh, so freedom fighter. Thank you. But um, what I was getting at is you could go to the bank, give them a hundred bucks or something like that, say I want hundred dollars in pennies, put in that little penny machine. Then it goes through and pulls out the real copper from the ones that also has zinc or whatever else metals they put in it nowadays. Uh, then you would take whatever's left that isn't real copper and go get more pennies. And at some point, hopefully you would generate a profit and you could use copper that way. Um, I personally, myself, don't, don't invest in copper. Uh, I'm not saying you're not right and it might go up in you know, price. Uh, let's see here. So Freedom Fighter says, uh, you can pause the chat. Yep. Thank you. Uh, okay. 1982. I thought you, you might be right. Blonde blue 80 Q. Yeah, I can't remember. It was 1982, 1981. I, you're, you're probably right. I'm probably wrong. Okay. Um, let me double check here. I think I've covered most of the stuff. What I do want to end on for the most part though, is crypto and blockchain is the future, whether we want it or not. There's going to be winners and there's going to be a crap ton of losers. So what I have to like tell my fam that's always hitting me up with all of these different types of crypto speculation, hot tips, things like that. They think they're going to moon, you know, uh, you just, you, you got to be careful. You, you really, you have to know the project. You have to believe in its mission. You got to do your, like your own research. I mean, we know that uh, crypto and blockchain is going to be the future. We know that, but but it was just kind of like the the internet too, or it's kind of like the internet. That if you remember that big tech pop, that tech bubble pop that I showed you earlier, it's going to be the same thing in my opinion in blockchain. You're going to have a crap ton of losers and a few winners. So be very, 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 very careful where you put your money. Be very, very, very careful where you get your information and who you listen to as to where to put your money. I've been a very strong believer in is if you don't understand something, don't do it. All right. You don't understand it, get rid of it or don't do it. So be very careful. And if you do want to get your toes in the water with crypto, only, only, only invest in something that you don't care if it goes to zero because 99% of this stuff is all right. And just, that's my opinion. Be very careful. Be very careful. Like you see a lot of people make money in a short period of time. Um, like right now, like right now, it's kind of hot. You know, you could maybe make money and get out before, you know, before it dumps. 
I'm not saying you can't do that. A lot of people are out there playing musical chairs right now. There's a lot of projects that are just built on hype and speculation. They have a big press team behind them and it's all driven by just noise and hype and all that kind of stuff, but there's no real value in their tech. There's no real, you know, team behind it. What they intend to do is drive the price up. Then the founders, they cash out. Everybody that's still holding the bag loses the crypto never goes back up in price again. There's going to be a lot of that happening. It happened in the stock market. It's going to happen in crypto. So be very careful who you listen to and what you invest in. Uh, let's see here. Jim K says, silver on dips. I use local dealer cash, small buys, under 25 okay, under 20 good. Copper will be a lot of weight. All right. Uh, let's see here. All right. Yeah, love y'all. God bless you. Joshua Davis, the man. Love you. Shahid, can't tell you how much I appreciate you, brother. Keeping everybody uh, informed and keeping the peace. Will, appreciate you, brother. Jason, for mirroring all the videos. Aaron, of course, for all the stuff that you do behind the curtain. You're an incredible kid. Love you. Daughter B, Heather, love you. And uh, non-coincidence synchronicities. Exactly. God bless you. Let's see. I think I've covered most of the stuff that I want to do. So we'll be back. Um, what is today? Wednesday. So we'll be back Friday, 6 p.m. We've been going for like two and a half hours. Good God. Ooh. Um, so Blonde Bullet EQ says, uh, when you sell, tell the family, not as advice, just a heads up. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't like to do you know, stuff. I mean, there's there's been a few a few times, you know, where I've, I've done that with like my, you know, immediate family, but it's just like, it's not like, um, it's not like I had inside information or that kind of stuff. It's just like the way I invest. And I recommend this for everybody because it's what I do, regardless of whatever you invest in, you simply place a target. So say for instance, you bought XYZ coin at $1. And you know that you just want it to 10x, which happens in cryptocurrency like mad right now. So you just have to be careful because it goes up, it goes down, whatever. But you just say that at $10, I'm going to sell all my XYZ coins. I'm not going to get stupid. I'm not going to hold it beyond that because I know pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered. So when it hits $10, I'm selling it. That's what I do. I set a price target, a point. I don't listen to anybody else. I don't take in any other information from anybody else's opinions. I'm watching the project. I'm watching the founders. If something happens to where I lose faith in the company, then I'll exit. Like, But it's not because of the news. It's because of my own research that I'm doing. I don't want to get too granular here, but typically what I do is I set a point and I sell no matter what at that point, period. I don't care if it's tracing upwards to where it could go you know, a zillion X. I don't care. I set my price. That's when I exit. So I recommend that for everybody. Just V, love you back. Thank you. So did everybody have a, a, a you know, a good time tonight? Hopefully um, this information, you got some value out of it. It is just strictly my opinion. All right. Um, I've been in the space for a long time. I've seen a lot. I, uh, I get these questions all the time. I hear people talking about crypto like they know what the hell they're talking about. And it's just, it's, uh, it gets, it gets uh, frustrating because a lot of people get burned. I saw a lot of people lose a ton of freaking money, you know, just listening to the wrong people. And so, um, yeah, 
I don't, I don't want to see the fam lose any money. So well, I appreciate the love. Appreciate it. Looks like, um, looks like a lot of the fam uh, enjoyed it. So very, very cool. Krisky. All right. No problem. Hit me up anytime. I'll be happy to help. And Richard. Yep. So Rick, good night all non-coincidence. Thank you, brother. Okay, so as always, we have our little um, outro video that we will have for everybody. And this is, um, you know, problem in the beginning with a little bit of a solution, solution at the end, how we get out of this mess. And again, it's always, it's going to be God, it's going to be us. That's how we get out of this crazy freaking upside down clown world that we're living in. And uh, in the meantime, we just have to kind of do what makes the most sense for our families to protect ourselves against what appears to be happening whether you want to admit it or not, and God knows I don't. But anyways, we got to make sure that uh, we take care of each other. We take care of our family and we're always learning. Always try to be better tomorrow than you were today. All right. So Friday, 6 p.m. I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about, but it'd be something good. Probably something about Operation Sunlight, maybe some news, just hang out, chill, talk in the chat. So it'd be fun. But anyways, I've been rambling for two and a half hours, getting tired. <laughs> Love you. God bless you. Catch you on the next one. Hey peeps, just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beetle shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is the co-founder of the Monarch Wallet, host of Trading New Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. Please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. God bless you. Love you. And I'll catch you on the next one.